No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules. And at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Uh, I'm thrilled to start this interview, folks. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on tender hooks, if that's uh, the, the proper expression. But I'm, I'm just psyched and amped to, uh, to have this conversation tonight. Uh, a little, in the interest of full transparency, there's a lot of kismet that went into tonight's interview. Uh, our guest is Justin McHenry. He's an author. Uh, we'll find out more about his background in a moment. He's written a fantastic new book. But the, the kismet element of it is we brought back Banal of America, as many people recall, uh, in October. And Justin was made a very kind comment uh, about the show on threads of all places, where I barely post. But I got the notification. I looked at it. Super kind. Uh, he likened me to Studs Turkle, which made me have to Google Studs Turkle. And then I'm like, oh, wow, that's a really impressive comparison. And I, I appreciate that. It was really nice. I'm like, wow, this guy really cool. So I click on his thing, his profile, and I see that he's written a book that at this time was coming out in a few weeks on Lemuria. And not a crazy person's version of a book on Lemuria, but an actual academic exploration of Lemuria. So the book, Lemuria, A True Story of a Fake Place, and we're not on video right now. I'll hold it up. I wish people could see. It's got the most fantastic cover with the face of a lemur on it. And and I was like, holy shit, a, an academic exploration of the evolution of Lemuria. I'm like, I have got to get this guy on the fucking show. This is, this is right in my wheelhouse. So... I get the book. Justin's kind enough to have the book sent along to me, and I read it. Uh, as people know, I like to time this out to when I'm going to have the guest on. So I read the book over the long weekend, and just as soon as I cracked it open, I was like, this is going to be a wild ride. And it is so incredibly well-researched. Um, I, like From the very beginning, and we'll get into this, but obviously lemurs play a role in this. But Justin's not content just to say lemurs play – he tells you about like the entire fucking background on lemurs and the species and all this stuff. And I'm like, I am in for a fucking adventure right now. And I'm only on like page 10 because I'm like, I am going to finish this book and learn so much. And that is what happened. I finished the book and I'm like, this is, it is a tour de force folks. That is, that is the I whole, I give it the highest recommendation I possibly can here on, but all America, I, Absolutely loved it. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the book, Justin, but I likened it as I was reading it to uh, Christine Garwood's Flat Earth, The History of an Infamous Idea. I don't know. If you haven't read that, you should check that out Um, because it's essentially like sort of takes the idea. The book mirror each other in a lot of ways. It sort of traces the history of the flat earth from when it first came up in the 1860s as a conspiracy theory up until 2008 when the book came out. So uh, and this this book is exactly of the same idea. It is it is tremendous. It it really is. Uh, Hats off to you, man. I I warned you ahead of time before we started the show. (laughs) 
I was going to be effusive in my praise, but um, I absolutely fucking love this book. So I cannot wait um, to talk to you about it tonight. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, obviously, for the kind words uh, a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the kismet that inspired this. Uh, believe me, I, I, I'm just amazed by the whole turn of events. So thank you so much uh, for, for coming on the show. I'm really looking forward to this, as people can tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Tim, for having me. Um, I have been a BLA listener for, oh, God, over a decade now you know, almost 15 years. I think I got into it from going through a Jim Mars phase. Um, ah. And so, yeah, just like looking up more stuff on him and finding him all the um, episodes that you did with him. And so, and then ever since then, I've I've been a solid listener and so thrilled for the, the revival to come back as well. And so it's, wow. um if, um if I could will myself to be on this show, I, I did it with this book, and I, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. happy to do so. So Right, right. It was amazing. And believe me, folks, like, there was no chicanery involved. Dustin <laughs> <laughs> wasn't like, oh, I'm so glad the show's back. By the way, you should have me on. He made no mention of the book. I know. If I hadn't, if I hadn't clicked on his profile, I would I would have gone merrily on my way, and because I don't even go on thread. So it's like, <laughs> like I said, it was total kismet. So. You know, well, you're you're a listener, so you kind of know the, the the way of the the way of the BOA. So, give us the bio, the background. Who is Justin McHenry? Um, how'd you get interested in all this strange and unusual stuff? And ultimately, what led you to Lemurio? Okay, so um, yeah, I'm a historian, and um, by day I'm an archivist, so I just live in the um, kind of history world most of the time. Um, so yeah, I got a you know bachelor's and a master's degree in history, um, and yeah, like and I've always loved the weird and esoteric. Um, so I guess maybe started with growing up on unsolved mysteries, and then um, I just remember as a kid, like watching the the special, especially the alien abduction episodes, and um, like just staying awake hours at time just for like a great big white light to come fill my room and, and take yeah. me away. So yeah, it really had and no yeah no you know, um kind of morphed into loving the X Files and like, you know, ever since then I've just been living in this world. And so um looking for a topic to write on and kind of being in this world and, and knowing the you know, running around in those circles, you kind of hear the the name Lemoria over here you hear yeah you know, yeah yeah um yeah listening to this stuff about Blavatsky or reading about Madame Blavatsky and, and seeing what she brings up um knowing about the the Shaver mysteries and and that connection and so I was just like um well let's just look into it a little bit more and looking into it more there hasn't really been a lot written seriously about it there's been a lot I would say people taking it um literally and um you know actually believing that there was a continent out in the pacific ocean or the indian oceans and, and things like yeah. that um and so just just looking at the idea of lemuria kind of like a drew drew me in and also because it covers such a wide variety of topics from you know you got the eight 19th century science history on up to the cult history and then you get like alternative religious and political history and so it um I'm a, I'm a kind of a generalist and so just having that that scope there really really yes um, spoke to me 
Right, right. I think that's kind of why it resonated with me, too, because it's like it covers so much stuff. It was like, it it really, again, kind of why I'm also so effusive in my praise. It was a necessary book. Like, this book needed to be written, because when I really thought about it, I'm sure you kind of felt the same way as you were getting started. It's like, what does anyone really fucking know about this Lemuria? It just pops up everywhere. It's used all the time. Like we have a, we have, I'm sure we do have an understanding of where it came from, but it's like, how the fuck did it go from, how the hell did this happen? That Lemuria is this like kid brother to Atlantis. Um, and it shows up everywhere all the time. And it's like, what? No one ever asks the question of like, what's the deal with Lemuria <laughs> until this book came out. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it really it fills a niche uh, that I didn't realize in my own mind that I hadn't really given much thought to. Just like, what, where is this? What is the story here with Lemuria? So uh, we'll start out with the with the, the real history. And what I liked about the book too was you say right from the get go, you're like, look, I'm not. I, I do this because I've done presentations on flat Earth based on my investigations into the conspiracy community. Yeah, and I'm yeah. always like, look, I'm not here to argue with people. I'm not here to even tell you how the flat earth works. So it's like you kind yeah. of establish that mm-hmm. same attitude in the book. It's like, look, we're not here to, to proselytize about Liberia. We're here to talk about fucking the, the, the evolution of this idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is, which is huge. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Cause <laughs> hopefully if you go on a few other shows, you don't run into the same thing I do. People start trying to poke holes in the theory. And it's like, look, I don't fucking poke all (laughs) you want, man. I don't don't care. Yeah. Um, It's right there in the title too, what I think. So it's exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A true story of a fake place. Absolutely. So what's interesting to me, and I didn't realize this from the get go, I'll sort of set you up here to expound on this. So these are sort of less questions, more observations from as I read the book was that we do know where Lemuria came from. Like, we actually have the actual moment in historical record in the book where it's like, this is the first time this guy fucking just says, we're going to call this Lemuria. So mm-hmm. tell people about the origin of Lemuria, the actual first time it popped up, and why. Because this was fascinating to me. Again, because it was, to me, in my mind, I'm, I always just assumed that this thing sprung up like the Atlanta story. So it's like, oh, wait a minute. There's actually a scientific background to Lemuria. There's a reason why this thing came into our zeitgeist. Someone fucking put it there if, with mm-hmm. an actual, like, I don't want to say noble, but certainly unscrupulous reason. It was like yeah, he was yeah. putting, putting forth a valid theory at the time. Yeah, yeah. So and fire he, away. He, tell, tell us about the origins of Lemuria. And he just dropped that name right at the end of what he was writing too, like which is kind of like amazing that it was just like his his mic drop was um, Lemuria. Um, and so yeah, and unlike Atlantis, which um, comes from Plato, and it has like even in Plato's writing, it, it it's kind of he has like a, a vague saying like you know this person said this about about Atlantis, and so it's kind of like third and fourth. Um, yeah, tellings of it. Um, but Lemuria has a very, very specific um, beginning, right? And it all comes from a guy, a 19th century British ornithologist, a guy named Philip Lutley Schlater. Um, and so he was just taking a look at um, the mammals of Madagascar. 
and how all of the, the creatures got onto Madagascar because Madagascar is famously an island, kind of isolated out there in the Indian Ocean. Um, and so the most famous occupants on Madagascar are lemurs. And so he spent a lot of this, um, his talk on going over about basically just describing lemurs and, and all of that stuff. Um, and then at the very end of his, his talk or his lecture, he goes, starts going into, well, how did lemurs get there? Um, and then he starts bringing up like, well, there's, you know, lemur-like species in South America. There's lemur-like species in Africa. There's lemurs in Madagascar and there's, you know, lemur-like species in India. So um, just because of the thinking at the time, there had to have been a land bridge that connected all of those places, um, which accounted for lemurs getting onto Madagascar. And that land bridge disappeared over time for some of reason, and it left um, lemurs stranded on, on the island there. Um, and then at the very end, he just says, you know what, let's just call that place Lemuria based on lemurs being there too. So, um, it does have a very like specific and, um, set in stone, like no time before then was, um, like the idea of a land bridge connecting all those places or was Lemuria ever a thing. So, right. Yeah. It's a very specific thing. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of fucking blew my mind when I Mm -hmm. discovered this in the book. And I'm sure people, I'm sure if you go on Wikipedia and I call it Lemuria, but is it Lemuria or can we, anyone can just say it however yeah, you want. It, it's however you want to say it. It's like <laughs> Appalachia or um, Appalachia. So it's just, okay. yeah, it's whatever you want to. So, yeah, you, yeah. You I, but, but yeah, I had never, that kind of just blew my mind that it was like, oh, here's the thing. And we'll just call it Lemuria because we're trying to figure out the lemurs. And it's like, oh, it's such an innocent, such an innocent beginnings to this this world that becomes exotic and and, yeah. and supernatural and fascinating and mm-hmm. crazy. And it happened like um, that too, like the, the transition from this scientific Lemoya to the like occult Lemoya happened within what, like 20 years. So it was, it was pretty quick in the, in the, in the time there. Right. Right. And what's interesting is the time this is coming up is, and I, I, as I said, it, 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 this rang a lot of bells from my flat earth research because it's sort of the same time this was percolating, the conspiracy, mm-hmm. where it was like science is emerging and codifying. And at the same time, there are these people, these quasi scientists, and it's, uh, uh, <laughs> they're all interesting characters in a way where they're all kind of like, they have like a million different affectations. He's, you know, he's a rock scientist and he's also an insect expert. Who takes has a, a passing interest in astronomy? So it's like all these people who kind of dabble in all these different sciences, and they're all like men of high renown too. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Like, yeah mm-hmm. It's like so they probably you know they're wealthy enough to fucking be a part-time geologist and also insect expert and rock whatever. So mm-hmm. all this is going on, and people are trying to figure out the the the, the whole process of thing that it turns to figuring out human ancestry essentially yeah, yeah. so that's kind of where then lemuria then gets picked up and turned into the cradle of civilization right yeah Haeckel is the guy who the german uh one of these multi-hyphenates who uh who's like you know what lemuria that's we're gonna fucking say that's where they all came from which mm-hmm. is like what the fuck this <laughs> sklar just fucking invented it out of thin air dude you mm-hmm. can't like you can't do that but he does yeah. and yeah. it's cool yeah, and that's that was the 
that was the the moment. It kind of like solidified Lemuria as a place was when Ernst Teichel came out and was like, you know what, let's just base because um, he was doing it based on evolution. And so he had read Darwin and he became such a fanboy of Darwin that he was like the, the pit bull for him. Um, and he was the, um, what, the Jazzy Jeff to Darwin's um, <laughs> Will Smith. So he was out there, like, just hyping him up n- nonstop. Um, and so he was, um, as part of that, he, you know, wrote you know, many books on, on evolution and just, like, trying to prove evolution. And so he was, um, in Darwin's, what, first book, the, um, the, shit, the one, the, the one, the, yeah, yeah, the origins on the origins of species. Okay. Um, yeah, he he didn't go into human evolution at all. He he thought it was yeah. too much of a like you know a, a grenade to to throw out there and explode everything. So he just threw out the idea of evolution and natural selection and, and all of that kind of stuff. Right. And then right. in between that and the descent of man, his his next book, which actually goes into evolution, Heichel comes out with his book, The History of Creation. And it's basically all about human evolution. Um, and so he needed like a paradise to plant evolution onto. And for him, that paradise was Lemuria, just because it was out there in the middle of the Indian Ocean and in the middle of the Indian Ocean. It's like a beautiful place and um, very like, you know, the, the islands that are there now are, you know, like paradise in themselves. And so yeah. um, it was like perfect weather, perfect everything. And so he was like, hey. Lemuria is as good as place as any to, to stick the, you know, the, the proto humans that are out there. And then, so that's where humanity grew up and they, you know, moved off Lemuria into, you know, Africa and into Asia and, and everything else. And so that was really the, the seed um, that um, he planted there. Yeah. As you say in the book, he put people on Lemuria and that was, that was the start of, yeah. <laughs> and once you put people on someplace, they never leave. So it's it's right. Yeah, he 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 done did a thing, and it it's. And yeah. what what amazed me too, reading about the the thoughts of the time when this was kind of percolating, the land bridge, and could it be a sunken continent and all that? It was like and you point out in the book, like it it, it, it amazes me. Like they never, it, it took a while. It wasn't for a little while till they kind of figured out all these continents like kind of fit together. It's like, how did you not fucking notice that? Like, they fit together so perfectly. How did you – but they thought that this was just – that by some – I guess no one ever really questioned it, but by happenstance, they just thought these things were stuck in place, mm-hmm. and they couldn't move around or anything. Yeah. Which I guess kind of makes sense if, you, from, if you're in that time period. But still, how do you not notice they all fit together so perfectly? That's the weirdest part. Yeah. I actually had a buddy text me this today was like, how did they not know? Like what, like were the maps that bad at that time that they can't figure it out? I was like, no, it's, it's mostly, I think it's, it's twofold. It's lack of imagination on a lot of the scientists part and also um, ego too on their part because they don't want to admit that what they've been studying their whole lives is wrong and, and all of that kind of thing. And that's, that's, you get that with, um, the backlash to evolution, like at least the scientific backlash to evolution um, in the 19th century. You just have a lot of scientists just flat out saying it's, it's wrong only because if it's wrong, their whole careers and their whole lives have been wrong. And so right, right. you get a lot of that with um, 
like the 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 movement of the the continents and everything else um so it's like it it wasn't until like the early what 20th century that what um alfred wegener like just like just took a look at the map and like oh wait this map they all fit together like a puzzle right and so and then it wasn't even another like 50 years after he said that that yeah i guess the technology um caught up with his idea and they were like oh yeah this guy was right actually oh so yeah it's crazy it's really like wow how do they how they miss that (laughs) yeah it's it's, it's like uh you just look at like south america and africa and how like yeah that's the the big one yeah they like perfectly so easily they're they're just like such such cuddle buddies that it it would be it's it's hard not to, to figure that out yeah it's very weird and and I don't know. I mean, you were kind of necessarily making you were kind of making the point at the very beginning of the book, sort of the, the the whole idea of this like lost continent is is kind of like like a continent's a huge fucking place. <laughs> you can't really lose a continent. Yeah. And I mean, look, maybe because we haven't seen it happen here in our lifetime, but it's like I I just find it unfathomable this idea of a world. And I'm not like arguing for or against the various of a world of something just being sank, like a whole landmass could be sunk by a, a nuclear catastrophe or whatever. Yeah, all these yeah. different, the- all the many theories for why mm-hmm. they claims, I guess you could say, for why Lemuria yeah. sunk. It's like mm-hmm. I just don't buy the idea. Period of a of a fucking continent sinking into the ocean. It's yeah. to me, it sounds unfathomable almost. Yeah, it, it is yeah. just because. There's have been very recent, like within the last year, they've been doing a lot of um, scientific studies on a place called Zealandia, which was yeah. a continent that surrounded New Zealand, basically. And so um, the scientific teams down there are doing dredging and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's it's such a good um, – for this talk, it's such a good um, example of how a continent – actually gets lost um, because it takes millions and millions, tens of millions of years for um, right, in right, Z- yeah, Zealandia's yeah. case. It was Australia, Zealandia, and Antarctica all together. And they started to breaking up when the continent started breaking up. And then as that broke up, like the, the plate underneath Zealandia started shifting and, and express, spreading and just, it started sinking, you know, slowly and slowly over, you know, tens of millions of years until you get, Right, what we have right, now yeah. is the island continent of or the island of New Zealand. So it's it's like to think that what something that took 50, 75 million years happened in like a weekend, uh, which right. is the story yeah. that happened yeah. Yeah, with like um, Atlantis and Lemuria both. They, they both have yeah. similar demises. So it's 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 kind of crazy to think that that that. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's it's wild. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> especially for these the size of Lemuria, which um, depending on who you talk to, it basically almost took up the whole Pacific Ocean. The Pacific Ocean right. is really fucking big yeah. too, and yes. so it's like for something like yes. that to like fall down and and not only fall down, but we have proof that the the island nations that are there now are come from like volcanic um activity like they've just slowly yeah. built up through through volcanic activity so that means lemuria had to sink then volcanoes had to like underwater volcanoes had to come up and then like make those like so it's 
Yeah. Yeah. Because some of these, like you're saying, some of these uh, theorists, let's call them, would, would mm-hmm. like describe this massive. And I'm like li- li- reading the thing. And I'm like, where the fuck is all the ocean then? <laughs> yeah, like, right? if, if this thing takes up the entirety of the Pacific Ocean, where is the fucking, where are you putting the Pacific Ocean then? Because mm-hmm. yeah. you're keeping all the other land masses too. So <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, it, this is crazy. Yeah. The Pacific Ocean was like the Mississippi River between Lemuria and, like, <laughs> yeah. Asia. So yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Kind of... It's absolutely mm-hmm. crazy. And it's crazy to think, too, because um, in further iterations, um, the west coast of America was the east coast of Lemuria. So it's like, yeah, well, yeah. that's just – Right, that really confused me because then it was like, mm-hmm. so what the fuck is the rest of America then? So I was, <laughs> yeah. so is all of America Liberia? Yeah, it's yeah. very, very, very strange. Now, the again, uh, I'm effusive in my praise of this book. People who, like me, love eccentric characters, oh, you're gonna fucking but, love yeah. this book because this book is chock full of eccentric characters, and believe me, they're all more. 99 percent of the more interesting than the paranormal phenomena because that that shit's just lights in the sky or a bigfoot. Yeah. Like th- these are these are people do, who are fucking strange. Yeah. So even the scientists too. Like oh those, yeah, those were like eccentric, you know, interesting people too. Yeah, just this this book is uh, is chock full of eccentric people. Now, one of the people I wanted to ask you about is Ignatius Donnelly. Okay. So give us a thumbnail on Ignatius Donnelly and his because what I really like about the book too is you you pinpoint these specific characters who then like you we're kind of getting into the Atlantis part of the book and you mentioned like Plato you say about Plato it's like this fucking guy you don't say it that way of course you're <laughs> you're, you're a very academic man but this fucking guy his thing his Atlantis. Is still going. It's still churning around. Twenty five hundred fucking years later, like I cannot. It's unfathomable the, mm-hmm. the impact. The, like that is just insane level of impact on human culture by yeah. just fucking throwing out this Atlantis thing and telling this fucking story. So, <laughs> so Ignatius Donnelly, uh, I'll sort of set you up here. Like I said, okay. these are less questions, more observations in a way. But it's like. You get into Atlantis because Atlantis is sort of like the the big brother to to Lemuria in a lot of ways in the esoteric milieu. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talk about how Ignatius Donnelly, he sort of popularized this in the more modern times, 1800s. Um, but you specifically point out, tying this back to my observation, your observation about Plato that I cited, that he, you cite, you say, Ignatius Donnelly kind of helped create the playbook for conspiracy theorists by plucking from all these different sources and different, um, different disciplines and stuff, and not necessarily kind of like, if, so long as they supported his fucking argument, it didn't really matter where they came from, who wrote it, what the background of this sort. Just, oh, he just kind of was like, here is the old meme of Charlie from uh from, from always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was this guy, Ignatius Donnelly was the prototype conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Putting forward arguing in favor of Atlantis, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So that that's kind of the setup. But tell us more about this character because he was he was truly an interesting character. Yeah, uh, he he's a yeah. good American original. Um um he was everything in life. He was a, a lawyer, then he became a politician 
then he became a failed farmer, and then he became a failed politician, and then he became a conspiracy <laughs> theorist, and then a science fiction writer, and then like a failed vice presidential candidate. So he he was a little bit of every, and and he also dabbled in the the Shakespeare authorship um, debate yes. as well. And now yes, <laughs> yes. he had a, like a popular, and he also like his book after. So he, his famous um, Atlantis book is Atlantis: The Antediluvian World. Um, and then the book right after that. So that was a huge success. And so he followed that up with a book called um, Ragnarok, um, Fire and, and Gravel or something like that. And it's just all a a, a huge tome on how gravel um, came about, <laughs> yeah. like how the world's yeah. gra like gravel population came about. And so it's just it's the strangest thing in the world. And so, yeah, he served in the House of Representatives, the American House of Representatives, um, during the Civil War. Um, and so he was like, you know much you know into the like the american political sphere he was a populist later in life um and following along that um he was born in pennsylvania but he quickly moved kind of out to minnesota and just kind of established his political career out there in minnesota and it was like in one of his political laws in the 1880s that he um he just he got excited about atlantis yeah, and just crazy. it just took off um and so, as you said, like he was pulling from everywhere um, and just just connecting the dots. He was good at like um, creating the dots and then connecting them himself. Yes. too. So which yeah, is, which yeah, is yeah. really um, a fascinating thing to do. And so, um, yeah, he like, he was pulling. He, he was kind of like the Diet Coke of, of all of the different um, subjects he was pulling from. So he wasn't like going really deep in depth. He was just skimming off the top of everything um, right, right. and just putting it forth as, you know, all proof that Atlantis existed. And it like it struck a chord with um, the populace like it. And that's it became so popular that um, it was in print for the next like 80 or something right, years right. and so it was it was a very and like the song atlantis by donovan like references his book so it's like he was very much in the kind of like you know zeitgeist of you know pop culture himself um so right right that's that was one of the revelations i think in the book to me like uh you know we say plato yes plato established this thing and yeah. and, and created it for lack of a better term for, or for all intents and purposes but but if you really, it, to give the devil his due, if you want to talk about Atlantis as sort of a fixture in the contemporary zeitgeist, it's Ignatius Donnelly who fucking yes. is the guy that did it. He's the one who was like, hey, have you all heard about this Atlantis thing? And then fucking boom, it, mm -hmm. it has been a part of our culture ever since. Yeah. It really wasn't like, really wasn't like, the Atlantis that we know today before he did that. No, no, it was very spread out and the, the people writing about it and um, talking about it were just like, there was, you know, centuries in between them basically. And actually right, right. there was like nine, almost a thousand years between um, like when it kind of died out in Greece. And then when it got popularized because uh some Italian like um, trans translated the you know Plato's works yeah, yeah. and like the the the, the Renaissance, um, and then it had a brief kind of period and then it died out and then it was um, you know Donnelly who you know, put it 
put it all together and um, yeah. repackaged it and and turned it into what is that you don't you don't get Atlantis like we understand it today without Ignatius Donnelly like all the Graham Hancock stuff and all of the other you know people out there talking about these um, you know lost worlds or going searching for Atlantis you like you don't get that without Ignatius Donnelly first coming forward and, and you know popularizing it and you know making people aware of it again because otherwise yeah. they just wouldn't know about it yeah it's crazy it's mm-hmm. party, partially makes you wonder like what other shit is out there that <laughs> yeah makes, makes you almost want to dig through that stuff and be like well what else has kind of popped up every few centuries <laughs> oh yeah i mean well like rosicrucianism is this is the same same deal like it will ebb and flow um every couple centuries and so you get a lot of that stuff and I, that's part of the things i like doing is like looking at the where something comes from like yeah digging back deep to the where it comes from and so like in music, um, if you like like '60s rock music or '60s like blues rock music, then you, I kind of like going back to the the source. Oh, like, that's see. why yeah, I like yeah, yeah. yeah, like liking Robert Johnston and, and stuff like that. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting too. Yeah, even you mentioned uh, Donald. Yeah, he he's the, the whole thing with the Shakespeare. He was like a Shakespeare conspiracy theorist, which is yeah. fucking awesome. And it, it was I earlier you mentioned uh, I'm gonna box the name like Russell Wallace or something. Yeah, Alfred Russell Wallace. And, yeah, yeah, and he was like he got mixed up. You even give it just a brief mention of the book, but I for my forte he was like mixed up with the flat Earth thing for oh, a yeah. long time. So it's like he these was, guys got all fucking tangled up in all this crazy shit. <laughs> and and Alfred another thing that would be interesting to us was Alfred Wallace was he was also like theorizing about life on Mars like in the late. 19th century and stuff like that yeah, too. yeah. And so it, it was he was he was a very interesting guy he was very very deep into the the flat earth stuff like at least disproving like, yeah the flat yeah. Earth theories so yeah there's a whole he just yeah for your, i don't know how much you know about this but he got mixed up with the the hakel essentially of flat yeah. earth who was like the 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 the, the dj jazzy jeff of, of flat earth to the to the uh to the schlater uh, who, who kind of was just like, hey, look, there might be a flat earth. And he was like, what? And fucking went nuts. <laughs> so that guy who went nuts, he mm-hmm. crossed paths with Russell Wallace, mm-hmm. and they they tangled for, like, decades over yeah, – yeah. she tried to ruin his life and shit, essentially, because yeah. the guy – he proved that the earth was round, and he's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. And that was <laughs> – that was, it was like a no joke, folks. That was really yeah. – like, that was, it was like – it was like three or four decades of just mm-hmm. like – I'm gonna fucking kill you, dude! Like you, you fucking <laughs> ruined my life. And uh, there was like money involved too. Like there was like a yeah. prize to prove um, the Earth was flat or Earth was round or whatever. And, and yeah, yeah, Wallace yeah, yeah, thought that yeah. he did it, and like, and so he started suing the guy. It was mm-hmm. it's it was very contentious. It was very fun. I think it's, yeah. it's good fun stuff. It's a great feud. So yeah. So now we've established. So we're kind of going through. The timeline of Lemuria. Mm-hmm. Try not like folks have to get this book. Oh, we're just scratching the surface here, but we're going to go over this over the course of the conversation. But the, the, the depth of research in this is tremendous. So, in the milieu, in the zeitgeist, so Lemuria is like this hypothetical world. Could have been the cradle of civilization, maybe. Who knows? Um, and this is from the perspective of the population, not what we're what we're what we're saying on the show. This is what people of the day are kind of speculating on. Then, as you say, Madame Blavatsky comes into the fucking mix and (laughs) blows up Lemuria and transforms it 
from a scientific idea to an esoteric idea, if you will. And I mean, tell me about, I think this was probably the hardest chapter to read and that has nothing to do with the book or with you or anything. I find her to be a cipher. Just like, is that, am I, am I wrong in this? It was like, she seemed kind of like, I don't know. She just gave me the heebie jeebies. (laughs) I will say this. Um, one of the great surprises that I came out from writing the book was how much I like respected her afterwards and just her uh, intellect because she well, was, was taking yes. a bunch. Yeah. She was taking a bunch of shit, like different shit, like, like Heichel and she was doing like astronomy stuff, like, like hardcore science. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. reading and like filtering in through her, you know, I like her, her spectrum and then, and, and pooping out um, the secret doctor and all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> now she is like seemingly purposely um, dense. And I think that's what makes it so hard to comprehend what's going on. Um, right. Because I have, it, it's impossible. It was impossible for me to read what she was writing and trying to figure out um, what all is going on. And I don't know if she knows what's going on, um, herself, or if she was just kind of like just throwing ideas out there. Um, yeah. but it is very, very like you get into the secret doctrine. Um, and that's her like major two volume work. That's like the, oh, I wouldn't even call it the, the Bible of like theosophy. It's like the, um, dissertation of, of theosophy that just goes yeah. super in depth into, and you start getting into like, um, over level deep into yeah, yeah. um like into all kinds of shit and and right. the secret doctrine so it's not just like her world view it's like going down into cellular cellular um, level kind of stuff and that's just it gets bogged down in that and you can't really figure out what she's trying to make heads or tails of but but that she's like um it was amazing reading the secret doctrine, or at least the the portions that I like I dealt with because I, I couldn't read the whole thing just because <laughs> it would yeah. destroy my mind. I think um, <clears throat> just reading the the parts that she delves into her kind of like cosmic evolution theory, um, it's 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 intense. It's, it, it is. It's very intense, but it's yeah. She's she's taken Heichel, she's taken Darwin, she's taken like Russell, um, Alpha Russell Wallace, and like all of these different scientific theories, um, and providing like you know explanations for them, and then you know twisting them around into her own home thinking um, too. And so it, it's it's um, it's it's impressive in one area, but it's also very hard to understand and hard to to grasp just what is going on yeah yeah i think that's yeah it threw me for a loop i think that's kind of mm-hmm. where i was just because i really haven't delved into Blavatsky very much at all and yeah. it, in my you know it's much like lemuria it's kind of been on the periphery of my knowledge but it's like yeah. Yeah, but then as i'm reading the thing i'm like this is intense like, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like he's got some really she's dropping some really dense shit like you yeah. said, it was she, she doesn't dumb it down for the for the for the idiots man she's she's writing <laughs> for the yeah no she's writing for for herself it seems like and if you if you don't understand it then you know it's shame on you but um right right I, you gotta read it again or something right yeah yeah but i think the people who 
follow her, like claim to understand it, but they don't. They don't really. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be so. surprised. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it, it, she's an interesting character. It's definitely very, very much character. so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I get a feeling for her, it's like, don't hate the player, hate the game. Yeah. And so, like, she was doing all of her like, um, kind of like cheap spiritualist shit. Like, um, right. So, like, all of, like the knocking and when she's around and the whole um, Mahatma letters where they just kind of appear out of nowhere and stuff like that. Um, and it's sort of like she was doing that just to kind of, like, prove her esoteric or occult um, bona fides. Um, right. Well, I also got the impression, like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, it's some there's a big chunk of her life where she's just, like, purportedly, like, traveling the world. And it yeah. gave me very, like, Jesus-y vibes. Yeah. Where it's like, mm-hmm. no one really knows. I felt it almost, I was what left myself kind of wondering, like, is this fabricated? Did she kind of fabricate this colorful life as a world traveler who amassed all this knowledge? I mean, she was ex- incredibly knowledgeable. So it's like, yeah. clearly, clearly she had this tremendous wealth of knowledge, but it's all shrouded in sort of mystery as to like where the fuck she kind of got all this information. She kind of, I believe it, like you say, well, she eventually settles kind of in India and gets a mm-hmm. lot of the stuff from there. But like she had purportedly traveled, told said she had traveled like all over the world and studied all this stuff. And it was, like I said, we don't really know that for sure. Just kind of yeah. the apocryphal origin story, if you will, yeah, that yeah. she put forward. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, it's like um, um, she she's creating her own backstory um by doing that and creating her own like myth making too on her part um to make her um, I don't, you know, I don't, honestly I don't know because like throughout writing the book um I was kind of surprised by um how much people's motivations played into everything and yeah some people's motivations are very clear they just want power or money or or whatever um her motivations. Uh, always eluded me because I'm not sure what she was like going at. She was never like she never really sought out money um, or anything like that. Like she was never rich. Um, um, she's kind of and yeah. after she became world famous or just more well known, it's not like she kind of just kept on mooching off of people. And that seems to be what she did in her dark period where you know we don't know what was going on in her life but she would go from place to place kind of like mooching off of people so she just kind of kept doing that um yeah, even after she, yeah yeah even after she became um you know madame blavatsky the, the great madame blavatsky um and so it's it's very it's very strange but it's also yeah. like I, I i can respect that it's like she never yeah caved no, in. Re- yeah she never caved in and became me. something she isn't yeah yeah, well, the myth making reminds me of Bob Dylan, actually, because that's kind of like what <laughs> exactly, happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. he became he kind of burst on the scene and then fucking made up a whole bunch of different backstories as to mm-hmm. how he how he got to New York, and it was like most of them they you know because of our contemporary times they can figure it out. We're like, yeah, that was bullshit, dude. He wasn't he wasn't a dishwasher in West Virginia for like six months. We know for a fact that he was like <laughs> like living here or whatever. So. Yeah. Um, but like back then they didn't really know that. So like it would appear in like newspaper articles. It was like, then he spent six months in West Virginia as a dishwasher. And that's where he learned 
harmonica from from a, <laughs> a guy who will also work with him or some shit. Yeah. And he just fucking made the story up in an interview with some writer to fuck with him, essentially. So it it's very, yeah. I have to give a second look at Lebowski. I think you may, this book may have inspired a future delve into it, a banal America where we'll, we'll get someone who. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be very, because she is, I would think, she's probably one of the most influential people of the 19th century. Um, yeah. Like yeah, up there with sure. Edison, just because um, her impact on the world and like culture today is still very much felt like all the new age stuff that's around um, interesting crystals and just any kind of new age thinking is like almost directly related to Blavatsky and, and yeah. kind of can be tied to that. You don't like she brought a, the first like interest into um, like Eastern religions and, and culture as well. And so, right. We, right. Yeah. We don't have like the, the influx of that um, wouldn't have happened as easily without her greasing the wheels and, and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you make a point in the book that, uh, at the time, this is like kind of all going on in the 1880s. You call it a critical time when science and the metaphysical were swirling around each other. So it's yeah. like <clears throat> people, by way of like the printing press and everything else and uh, this modernization that was occurring and set to kind of occur, was percolating, uh, was happening and getting into the new century. And it was like people were asking these questions. Science was emerging. It was codifying. People were trying to figure out fucking everything how yeah. all this everything essentially mm -hmm. um and put it down and, and put it down and figure it all out at the same time as you say the metaphysical kind of aspect she kind of injects this into the mix to as explanations for a lot of stuff that science is trying to figure out at the same time yeah. so it's a very interesting brew yeah will. and there's no like yeah there's no this like set theory at the time. There's no set thinking. Um, and like, it's, it's very telling that she focuses on evolution throughout the secret doctrine, just because evolution was such a landmine that kind of blew everything up, blew all ideas, um, like set ideas um, yeah, yeah. in society, it, like not just science, but in all of society, um, all of religion too, just because before evolution, like for the, thousands of years the idea that you know we came from adam and eve like we we came from god um and that's where people came from um and for that idea to not be there anymore was very disruptive um and so in that disruptive atmosphere you know blavatsky comes forward and says hey maybe we come from um you know these these star seeds and, and yeah. things like that and so it's and people were like yeah maybe we maybe we do let's <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what's interesting is uh, she transforms Lemuria. But as you point out in the book, she, to her credit, is like, let's just call it Lemuria, but it could be anything. She doesn't mean the original Lemuria. She acknowledges the original Lemuria. She's yeah. like... The sky Sklar, essentially the whole first half hour of what we just talked about. Yeah. She she lays it all out in her mm -hmm. fucking book. And it's like, here's the history of this thing. So for for all intents and purposes, it's good enough. It's yeah. good enough. Yeah. It's it, it works as an idea. 
So we'll just go with this Lemuria thing. I don't know if I really mean that the actual fucking Lemuria, which also is fake, but but <laughs> but but for all intents and purposes, we're gonna call my mystical island that's a part of the evolutionary star process that mm-hmm. even your old friend Benal can't quite put his arms around her whole her old ethos. And Lemuria is sort of a cog in this whole system of 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 the evolution of humankind, if you will. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it is a, a very key point. So where Heiko is, Lemuria is the um, cradle of civilization. For Blavatsky, Lemuria is the cradle of spirituality. Um, and it, it's part of her um, idea about root races. And so there's, oh, crap, um, seven root races. Seven root races. Yeah, yeah. it's complicated. She's got, like, yeah. seven root races, and then there's, yeah. like, seven sub-races. Yeah. And, and it, so- like, evolves and changes over time and builds mm-hmm. to the next one. And yeah. somewhere along the way is Lemuria in this yeah. thing. So, yeah, Lemuria is the third root race. The first two were kind of – the first one was, like, just ethereal, just an idea, basically. And the second one, they start, like – more like nebulous creatures. Um, and then the creatures become actual beings, like physical beings on Lemuria. Um, and then they kind of evolve during that, that period into, um, you know, cyclops, yeah, giants yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and everything else until they kind of, kind of sort of become like human shaped. Um, they're still at the end of the third root race, I think pretty tall, um, but, yeah. but um, yeah, there's a lot of weird evolving going on on yeah, this, yeah, on this yeah. hypothetical island. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I don't, I don't know if it was Blavatsky or someone kind of who picked up her shit later or whatever. But like, yeah, you mentioned one point, it's like they have one eye and the, the yeah. gland in the middle, and it sinks into the back of the head. Yeah. And the one of the things I really loved, moving a little bit off of Blavatsky for a moment, one of the things I loved about this is as this, she opens the door for fucking people to start filling in all these crazy fucking details about Lemuria. And as you get on and on in the book, and the more people are presenting their accounts of Lemuria, it's like, they just make, they're like, they start talking about the school systems on Lemuria. (laughs) They're talking about fucking, you know, the the infrastructure Mm -hmm. and how the bridges are constructed. It's like, just make shit up out of whole cloth. It's like, oh my God, this is insane. Yeah. How, these people, it just keeps collecting crazy fucking details and attributes that people just make up out of whole cloth in their claims about Lemuria over the over the subsequent years, which we're yeah. going to get into as we go along. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a recurring trend of, <laughs> of people just ascribing all this crazy shit to Lemuria, mm-hmm. where it's like you don't fucking know what the schools like. <laughs> get out of here, <laughs> right? Dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that, I think that's important thing that Blavatsky did was she cited her sources. Um, and so even if they, those sources were her, um, you know, ascended masters, like kind of speaking to her, she still cites them. Um, and then she also cites Heiko and, and all the other people. Um, and they're, they're useful for her as like straw man, the, 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 the stand up for her and to, to argue against. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that was very helpful to her, but like later iterations of Theosophists, they, they were like, you know, who, who gives a shit? We don't need our sources. Let's just throw them, we right, can throw right. anything out. They, they all come from the, you know, Akashic record or, or whatever. And so that's, that's good enough for us. Yeah, yeah. That's the, yeah. As you kind of say in the book, it's, uh, that's the transformation point. You do say in the book, that's the, that's the transformation point where it's like this thing goes from scientific 
possibility theory or whatever to esoteric concept. And yeah. then it's fucking off to the races. Yeah. It's yeah. like off to the races. And it, it's interesting. We talk about how dense and difficult to decipher the Blavatsky shit is. I almost imagine that maybe even the people of her day were like, yeah, look, I maybe got like maybe a third of the way through it. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever you say. Because part of it's like the Lemuria thing. They just jump on. They're just they just kind of say Lemuria, and they don't even mention, as you say, they don't mention any of the origin part that Lebowski talks about. They're just like it's Lemuria, you know, Lemuria, right? <laughs> Everybody knows Lemuria. Come on, it's it's the sunken <laughs> island. So it's it, it never no one ever talks about the scientific origins of it. Pretty much from that point forward. Yeah, and I, as I think it's like Lemuria pops up on like page four hundred. Um, of like volume two of the secret doctrine. And so you have to get through, you know, 800 pages of volume one and 400 pages into volume two until you get to this. And it's just like, and I was just skimming it at that point, man. I saw Lemoria, I read a couple pages <laughs> yeah. and then it's just like, I'm moving forward. Like it's, it's, it's all good. Yeah. It's intense. It's an intense, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't expect people to, at the, at the time to, I don't know. I, don't, I guess they have nothing better to do, so maybe they were more um, in tune. Intensive, with, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, look at, yeah. Think, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Think of it this way: it's like people, like the way people like fucking got into Lost. They probably got into Blavatsky. They were just yeah. like, you know, uh, exchanging theories and shit. I imagine because they had nothing else really to occupy themselves with. Yeah. And actually, it's kind of of the same ilk in a way. It's mm-hmm. like this metaphysical mystery thing, but. So I wouldn't be surprised if that that yeah. was the case. And the um, Theosophical Society is still going strong now, and it's still still around. So whatever she did, man, she did it. She did it right because it's it's lasting long. Right, right. And it, it, it's you only tackle the Lemuria part of sort yeah. of her in, her influence, but clearly, mm-hmm. like if, just from what we're talking about now, she took this scientific idea, transformed it into an esoteric concept. Mm-hmm. That happened with a lot of shit, I imagine, yeah. in her book. She took a lot of mm-hmm. stuff that was sort of people were kicking around and wondering about and then added this metaphysical, esoteric slant to it. And really, as you say, influence changed the culture to this day. Yeah. And she did the same thing with Atlantis as well. And so all of the kind of mystical Atlantis stuff that's around now, like dolphins and like of Atlantis and, and things like that, like come directly from from her doing the same thing with Atlantis. Um, and then she also tied Atlantis and Lemuria together. And so afterwards, um, right. you don't yeah. really, you don't really see Lemuria without Atlantis coming afterwards. Um, so, uh, Lemuria was like the, um, um, the Woody Guthrie to, to Atlantis's Bob Dylan, let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I found, I mean, obviously it's recency bias or whatever, yeah. and I really loved the book, but it's like, I came out of this bill, I came out of this book being like, I love Lemuria, like, fuck Atlantis, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, Atlantis is so overdone, and Lemuria is, like, the cool the cool version of Atlantis. Like, Atlantis yeah. is just commodified. It's ridiculous. It's so, so yeah. insane to, like, say. It's like, yeah, Atlantis, maybe they have, like, a fucking boat or a cruise ship or an island. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. It's a yeah. theme parks now and stuff like that. But Lemuria is, like, the cool cousin. Like, mm-hmm. it will, like buy you cigarettes, it'll let you listen to fucking, like, you know, Death Leopard and shit like that. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Yes, Lemuria is like, Lemuria is the fun uncle. 
Yeah. And it's like, Lemuria's just like, hey, man, yeah, fucking, I'm Lemuria, dude. Yeah. yeah. Do whatever the fuck we want. We're not, <laughs> we're not all fucking huffy over there. They're, yeah. They're, they're, they're fucking cool parents aren't around. You know, you can, you can do anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's a lighter. Get away from me. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I came out of the book being like, I'm all about Lemuria, dude. That's, yeah. uh, that's the, that's the, the one. Now, it's where lost I, continents go to get weird. Like, it's, it's where yeah. they go to get like kinky and fun and let their <laughs> hair down. So it's, it's, it's a good time. Absolutely. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So the, I have in my notes here, I didn't put enough into it on this one uh, because I just kind of wanted to mention just for the completists in the audience. You also mentioned Churchward. He's the guy for people who are like wondering, okay, what about Moo? Yeah. Okay. Moo is fucking Lemuria pretty much. And it yeah. is just, I mean, it's right in the name. Like yeah. it's literally, it's literally the middle of the name Lemuria. Yeah. So this guy Churchward comes along. He pretty much, Tells Lemuria, his version of Lemuria. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. For after Blavatsky, everybody just kind of comes along and tells their version of the Lemuria story, adding yeah. their own fucking crazy shit that is influenced by the time they live in, their belief system, and it just keeps, and then, you know, and the next generation comes along and they take that and they kind of add their fucking attitude to it, kind of for the folks who, who listened and remembered, uh, who remember the earlier show we did with Tobias and Emily Wayland on the, on the holidays traditions in a sense, very much yeah. like that, very mm-hmm. much like that, where it's like, how did the Christmas we know today come to be? But yeah. this is, this book's like, how did the Lemuria we know today come, come to be? And th- that's how it happened. Like over different generations, more people, more esoteric researchers added their own spin on this until like, <laughs> You, you can use this line if you want someday, Justin. If Lemuria sank into the ocean, it was under the weight of all this fucking <laughs> theories and ideas yeah. and yeah. concepts that get mm. piled on Lemuria. It's, yeah. That's why it vanished into the ocean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so tell me about Church Churchward. He coins Moo. Yeah, he doesn't actually ever say it's Lemuria, but it's essentially. So, people who if, if there's ever any confusion out there from people. Um, I feel like I've talked a lot tonight, but I, I yeah, you're fine, man. I, it's good. I'm not a talker, so you're you talking as much as you are. That's that's there you go. Fine well, by well, me. Well, 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 because to me, also for future reference for banal American listeners, like next time you fucking after you hear this show tonight, after you next time you hear someone mention Lemuria, you'll know, you'll fucking know, you'll be like, all right, this is all right, we're going down the fucking crazy path now, because <laughs> I know for a fact Lemuria was coined by this guy in the fucking to explain the Lemurs yeah. on Madagascar, so get the fuck out of here with Lemuria. So, <laughs> to tie that in with the Moo thing, so Churchward, he's responsible for Moo, which is also Lemuria, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, he was even another fascinating kind of weird guy, um, Colonel James Churchward. He was a British guy, kind of... Um, served in the British Army and India, and he, his backstory screams a lot of, like, Blavatsky. Like, like Blavatsky, he traveled up to northern India, Tibet area, and learned from some um, secret masters there, some secret language, and on some secret tablets. Um, and then he spent, like, the next 30 or 40 years just, like, wandering the earth. Um, and... <laughs> And part of his wanderings, um, he met a couple in Mexico called the, the Le, Le Plongeons. Um, and say so they were this mystical archaeologist couple 
that um, had gone down to Mexico and started just excavating, you know, uh, Mayan and Aztec ruins and stuff like that there. And yeah, they yeah. started publishing kind of these like weird stories um, based on their findings um, from their excavations. Um, and so he became really good friends with them. Um, and that's actually where the the idea of Mu comes from, because there was like a, a queen Mu, um, um, a Mayan princess or queen. Um, and there was a whole huge like um, soap opera around her life. And so she had to take off um, across Atlantis into Egypt, where she founded the ancient Egyptian society. And then she had to come back and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of where the, the idea of Mu comes from. Um, and then Churchward also would like he developed um, during World War One like this steel like special steel yes. making process yes. <laughs> that was like stolen by the 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 Allies and so he ended up suing them and um, getting a lot of money like in in his settlement and that's kind of what fueled his moo research it's it's kind of crazy um, yeah. like he just created this steel making in NSV um steel um process and so with that that money he would go out and like and throughout the 1920s and 30s he wrote this series of books on Mu, um which was his fabled lost continent out in the pacific ocean and it's 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 crazy because over those six books right so writing in the 1920s and 1930s right <clears throat> you know 40 or 50 years after Blavatsky, you got a couple of decades after other like um, second wave theosophists coming around. Lemuria's in the air and you know, in California, that's when you start seeing Lemuria pop up in Mount Shasta and places like that. So Lemuria's kind of around everywhere, but he makes a, a, a purpose not to mention Lemuria one yeah, bit yeah. in all five or six of his books. And it's, it's all moo all the time. Yeah. But his, his is, um, his is strange just because he talks about his Lemuria is very big. It's or his Mu is very big out there in Pacific Ocean. It, it talks about like um, very much. It's like an idyllic place. It's, it's basically the um, Garden of Eden. It's the the and, you know um, inspiration for the Garden of Eden and all these kind of like um, Elysian fields and, and kind of things like that. Um, and he goes into like the people and all of that stuff, but he spends a lot of the books just doing like cultural appropriation basically and just saying, yeah. you know, these um, native cultures or Pacific islands share these um, um, traits or, you know, um, writings with, you know, Egyptians and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's very kind of like diffusionist and, and making those kind of claims and, and but it, it really it was really popular stuff for what it was. Um, I don't think it like spread out throughout the culture, but you would have you know it's very much influential on like Ray Palmer and and people you know right right a generation later they would exactly, they would know yeah. his stuff and, right right and, like and I was saying it. every successive generation of esotericist if you will. Uh, picks up from the previous one who's informed by the previous one yeah. and really as we were saying that all begins with Blavatsky who kind of it puts it into the world of the strange if you will yeah, um, yeah, yeah. now my favorite character in the book okay, okay is Philip oh no I'm sorry let me start that over okay you're good <laughs> <laughs> what, what, 
What is the count on that? 64. There you see. go. I want to fix that. Edit that little fuck up out. All right. <laughs> Dog, an idiot. All right. Now, my favorite character in the book is Frederick Spencer Oliver. I oh, found geez. this guy to be just fascinating and fun in a way. Uh, yeah. Just an odd, odd, odd character who kind of, you almost feel bad for him in a way because yeah. like he had this dream of putting forward this book. And what amazed me, and we're going to get into the, the whole story in a moment, but what, what really, the, the real sticky point for you, what, what really amazed me was his book, A Dweller on Two Planets, which came out in 1904, is like this seminal work that yep. I had never heard of, but mm-hmm. influenced all of these esotericists for like generations afterwards. Um, it's kind of been lost in the ether, I suppose, unless you're a super, I'm sure there are super <laughs> hardcore folks out there, but all the American listeners, because these are the hardest of the hardcore <laughs> folks. So I'm sure they've, there are people out there like, oh, dweller on two planets, come on, but all I reckon, what are you, <laughs> what are you, just getting into this yesterday? But I had, I, <laughs> but I was completely unfamiliar with a dweller on two planets. And it, as I said, it's like this seminal work of early 20th century esoteric writing, knowledge, influence. It's yep. a, a huge book. Like as I, as I'm reading your book and going through, it just amazed me how many times a dweller on two planets popped up like fucking 20 years, 30 years later, 40 years later. It's like, mm-hmm. that, like, wait a minute, fucking a dweller again, again? Yeah. A dweller yep. on two planets again. This is somehow we sifting into this, the story. It's really remarkable. So yeah. we'll start out. Tell us about, uh, Frederick Spencer Oliver. And a, a, what is this? A dweller on two planets that I've, that I've, uh, that I'm just mystified by. <laughs> and I must say, like, it's still relevant to this day. Like, you get the I really want to read stuff, it. The whole I am <laughs> movement stuff. I, I, yeah, I, I kind of want to get my hands on it. Yeah you, um, yeah, you can get, like, a free copy online. It's, it's in the public domain and stuff like that. But, um, and, like, I was watching Hellier Season 2 um, last year, and they, they brought it up. Yeah. They just, like, waved it. Out. Like, There's this book here is talking about people underground and stuff like that. And so um, it's still very much like in the in this world, um, people are still talking about it. But for, uh, you, you nailed it right on the head. He was my um, most fascinating person um, researching. I wish I, I want to learn more about him just because he, he lived a short life, but it was very and everything that like influential about him happened you know, decades after he died, too. Yes, that's the, he's like a tragic figure almost. In it, a way. it kind of is. He, he really much is. Um, and so uh, he was born in like 1866, I believe, right after the Civil War. His dad, I believe, was a um, served in the, the Civil War. Um, he was born in Washington, D.C., and they moved um, to California when he was really young. And so they kind of hopped around um, his family. His dad was a doctor and a also a newspaper man. Um, um, like a frontier, like Western newspaper man, they would, you know, they moved to California, lived in California for a while, then moved up to Oregon, moved to Nevada, and then moved back to California. And they kind of settled in the Santa Barbara area of California. Yeah. Um, so it was in part of those travels, like his dad apparently owned land or property around Mount Shasta. And so um, when he was 17 years old, Frederick Spencer Oliver was, um, the story goes, was surveying 
a piece of property for his dad out there. And um, as he was writing down a note, his hand started like writing something else. Um, and it was the first time that the um, his um, entity known as Phylos came to him and spoke through him. And, and so it freaked him the hell out. And so he, he hightails it back home. Um, and then Philo starts coming to him more and more frequently. Um, um, and so it started out with like kind of automatic writing and then it became more um, um, channeled, like um, channeling him. And so, uh, you know, a year or so happens and then he finally like introduces Philo to his parents um, and they weren't like um, – and they were kind of like it was the way he describes it. They weren't like, um, like you're fucking insane. It's just like, oh, <laughs> yeah, they're like, okay. oh, tell us more. Yeah, exactly. Philos, it's kind of like the joke. Like, is Philos in the room with us now? And that was kind of, but that wasn't like in a mean spirited way. It was more of a curious way. Where it was yeah, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. We'd like to speak with Philos if you could. That would be great. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> oh, he only speaks to me actually. So, um, but that's the classic kind of like cult thing, or 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 like um something like Blavatsky did too with her ascendant masters. They only spoke to her and she only had yeah. access to him, to, to them. Um, and so that was very much the same thing with Philos and Frederick. Um, and then pretty soon Philos was like, you need to write this book. I have this book in mind that I need to write and you're, you're the guy writing it. And so, um, yeah. So he begins as a teenager writing a dweller on two planets. And so, um, and it's a like a very very early channeled work. Right, so um right, yeah. yeah, we have a lot of like you know now we have you know channeling's basically second nature. And so like right, when he was right. doing it, it was like there was like one other you know channeled work at the time. So um and then he spent a number of years trying to get it published, um but it he, he never could. So he became yeah. a, a newspaper writer himself, writing out of Santa Barbara. And, um, yeah, you can still go online and, like, find his, like, articles on agricultural happenings in Santa Barbara and stuff like that. And yeah, so it's yeah. kind of kind of fun. Um, and so – and then the most interesting thing about him uh, – and I just actually wrote – I have a um, newsletter that I write, and I wrote um, a more detailed story on his relationship with this um, this former prostitute who killed her um, – who killed yes. her husband in, in yes. the Los Angeles um, City Hall. And so, so the, okay, so it, it, to do the backstory for this, you have to go back to the book. And so the book, A Dweller on Two Planets, is a very, also very kind of like dense, esoteric Christianity tome. And so by way of Atlantis and by way of like, um, going inside Mount Shasta and then being spectrally projected onto Venus and meeting other ascended masters. So you get this really like kick-ass like um um like um like sci-fi stuff going on, yeah. but um that's like ten pages, and the other four hundred pages are like um just really weird esoteric Christian um sayings, and so. <laughs> So it's like, yeah, and so the, the whole book is um, Philos um, telling his life story, and he started off as a Atlantean nobleman who gets into a love triangle 
and one of his lovers turns the other lover into a um into a like statue and then they kill she kills himself and he becomes like lovelorn and ends up dying you know and he but he learns a lesson of like um you know i guess money doesn't like solve everything or whatever but but during his atlantean times they have this really interesting um he flies around on a basically an airship Right. But it's also submersible, so it's like a submarine airship. Um, right, right. So transmedium is the UFO term. It's like yeah, it's a, yeah. what UFO people would consider, yeah, transmedium craft mm-hmm. that can go into the water, out into the air, and all that good stuff. And and what, and I think the cool um and I think the picture is actually in the the book. I mean, if yeah, you the picture that. is in the book. But this um. But this was before the great airship flap of 1897. Ah. And so if you look at the, that thing, it kind of looks like one of the, the airships. It does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I wonder if – that's one of my big theories is, like, wonder if, like, his work was, like, influential on maybe one it of his – very well could have been. Yeah, one of his, um, uh, like, adherents um, – had read the book and I came, I came up with this idea of, of something like that, but that, that's beside the point. That's right. So um, his Atlantean person um, dies, passes away. He gets reincarnated back, um, born in Washington, DC. Um, he serves in the civil war. Uh, this new person is called Walter Pearson. Um, and so, and he shares a lot of similarities with um Frederick Stad as well. So he yeah. also moves out west. He he moves around. Um and Walter Pearson meets a mystical Chinese man who takes him within Mount Shasta. And as they're palling around like Northern California together, they meet this um basically prostitute. Um it's this she's not even really, I don't think she's a prostitute. I think she's just an alcoholic um woman. Um, and they kind of like they they save her um, and they give her some money and she goes off. Um, and then Walter Pearson goes into Mount Shasta and has, you know, this mystical experience. Um, and then he comes out. He's a changed man um, and he's traveling the world and he meets her again in, um, I think, Italy or someplace like that. Yeah. Um, and they fall in love and, and they get married. And then um, he gets bored with life. Um, so he decides to, um, if I'm rambling, no, no, that's it's right. because right, it's because right. the book is rambling too. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, this is it's, a dweller on two planets. Yeah. It's a dweller. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. You have to deal with two planets. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, he becomes bored with life, um, takes a job on a steamer and the steamer like crashes in the ocean and that he dies. And that's the end of the book It's like him dying on this, this steamboat. Um, and so that's the setup for the newspaper man, Frederick Spencer Oliver, coming across this story, like the newswire of um, this former prostitute, Teresa Kerr, killing her husband. And so he sees that and he's like, wait a second. This is what I've been <laughs> preaching for decades. Like, this is, this is my story here. I need to save this woman and so he starts trying to ingratiate himself into her like defense team um he sends his <laughs> he sends his wife to make her like um send her letters um saying you know you should come live with us and yeah and, and stuff like that he sends his mom to her to try to adopt her 
Um, yes. like a 20 something year old woman and, and like Frederick Spencer Oliver's mom is, is there saying trying to adopt her. He sends his lawyer slash literary agent to <laughs> the legal team to try to like take over the, her defense and things like that. And it's so it's, it's really, really strange. Um, yeah. and, um, and her story is, is, is really strange too, but it ends up, um, she gets she gets acquitted, um, and then he dies like later that year, um, and it's kind of like his death certificate says cirrhosis of the liver. And so right. I was trying to figure out like was he a raging alcoholic as well, just because um, I think at the time there was two like there wasn't many diagnoses for cirrhosis of the liver outside yeah, yeah, of. Yeah. of and so I was trying to like, that makes it even like more tragic a figure of like this guy couldn't get his, you know, book sold. Book published, yeah. He could, yeah, he couldn't get his book published. He couldn't like get his cult off the ground because, um, right, right. He would, he would, ha- he would have these meetings, um, where he would channel Philos and people would come around and listen to him talk about yeah. Philos and, and things like that. And so, um, and that that never like took it off. Never took off because he needed yeah, a book and, to like get it out mm-hmm. to to other people and shit. Yeah, and get it yeah. more widespread. And he just couldn't get it published, which is like yeah. the as I said, that kind of that makes him like a tragic figure because then after the book gets published, then he has this. As I said, it's a seminal work in the yeah. history of the esoteric, for as bizarre mm-hmm. as it is <laughs> of a book. And what what's mm-hmm. interesting. Kind of like what we were saying here about Ignatius Donnelly. He's the one who really injected Atlantis into the contemporary zeitgeist. It, uh, another fascinating, again, one of those litmus tests that people who hear tonight's show can later or and read the book can later look and they hear someone say something like about Mount Shasta. You can go, ping, all right, this person's probably full of shit. Because <laughs> as you point out, you, you mentioned this story in the book, in a dweller on two planets, of the guy being brought into Mount Shasta and showing all this stuff. That's where fucking Mount Shasta becomes the Mount Shasta we know and love as a paranormal hotspot, mystical location, um, legendary place of lore where, you know, there could be, quote unquote, um, various races of people living in all that, all of that traces back to a dweller on two planets and Frederick Spencer Oliver. That like completely blew my mind. It's again, it's kind of like the whole Lemuria thing where it's like, where did this even come from? I never gave it a second thought. I'm just kind of like, Oh, Mount Shasta, it's mystical place. They've always thought that like, well, no, it turns out they haven't. It turns out people have only thought that since 1904 when a dweller on two planets was published. So it's, it's incredible. The influence Again, tragic figure. It's like the influence this guy had. He unknowingly turned Mount Shasta into this this landmark of mysticism by virtue of the book. It's really yeah. tremendously it's mind blowing in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he so he died in eighteen ninety nine. His mom like worked tirelessly to get the book published, and she finally got it published in nineteen oh four. Um, no one read that edition. And so it wasn't until she teamed up with uh, like a kind of amateur 
Torst uh, astronomer, a guy named Edgar Lucian Larkin. Yeah. And um, he had this popular column um, that he would write in California newspapers that were on, like, science and, and weird stuff. Um, and so he got she got the book to him, and she he really pushed it out in his columns and actually got a second edition printed in the, like, mid-1920s. And that's that's kind of when, like, A Dweller on Two Planets exploded. Um, and, you know, you started having the Rosicrucians getting a hold of it, and they really – the ones that brought that took the book took Edgar um, the Larkin and injected Lemurians into the Mount Shasta and the whole idea and made Mount Shasta really like second to only like Sedona in terms yeah. of like um, yeah. spiritual, you know, spiritual meccas in America. Um, but it's also, it has this just bunch of weird stuff happening all around it too, all coming from basically um People going there expecting to see weird things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's kind yeah, of like a yeah. self, self, self-prophecy going on there, too. So it, it's really fun. It's it's really, like, interesting to see the genesis of how that all happened with um with just this one book. Yeah, yeah. And you have, like, throughout that chapter of the book, like, all these instances where these various colorful characters in the esoteric world kind of, like – it's like they heard of the book, they read the book or whatever. They're like, oh, Mount Shasta. That's kind of, that's interesting. You know, yeah. maybe there's, I'm going to throw Mount Shasta into my shit now. Cause this yeah. is, I like, I like the sound of this Mount Shasta. So I'm going to throw it in. And now I'm going to add in people who live inside of it. And it becomes and all these different writers and things start putting things in and kind of like connecting it to the Lemuria uh, topic that we're talking mm-hmm. about. It becomes the, the alleged inhabitants of Mount Shasta are said to be Lemurians. That's kind of the whole mm-hmm. people who are like, how does this, that's how now the, now they're in a way it's interesting because somewhere along the way, and maybe it is with a dweller on two planets, as we pointed out, like, uh, Blavatsky turns Lemuria into a concept, but maybe, maybe it's Frederick Spencer Oliver, but maybe it was someone else. You can correct me, but at some point, the Lemurians become just a, a race of people in and of themselves, like yeah. almost without a home. Mm-hmm. They're like, we used to live on Lemuria, but now we live in the Mount Shasta. So that's kind of like, it, it adds a whole nother element to it where it's like Lemuria is not just a, not just a, a fake place. It's a fake race of people that, that allegedly, you know, say they come from the fake place. Yeah. And it's amazing that people, interact with them too like they're like people have real experiences with right, beings right. that they they call lemurians and, and things like that and that you see that popping up all over the place with with mount shasta you have um and, and my, my i try to do research on pre um lemurian mount shasta and like the ideas behind it and like I would, I was running across all of these like travel logs about people like hiking up on the mountain, um, never experiencing anything in like the 1880s, 1890s, 1900s, 1910s. Like um, time and time again, like there was no stories that I was seeing that was popping up right. saying like you know anything weird was happening right, on right. The, on the mountain or anything like that. And this was time of yellow journalism when weird stuff was you know encouraged right, right. to to happen too. So you weren't. You, I wasn't seeing that with, with Mount Shasta and it wasn't until 
um, you know, dweller on two planets, but also when Harvey Spencer Lewis, the um, founder of Amarch, um, the yes. ancient mystical order of Rosas Crucius. Okay, yeah, go um, yeah, I got that right, actually. That was pretty nice. good. Um, so um, he wrote a book um, under the auspices of Wishar Spinlay Lewis. Or <laughs> Spinlay. It's an anagram for his name. I forget, I yeah, forget what yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Survey. Yeah, Wishar Spinlay Survey. Um, yeah. So he wrote a book called Lemoria Lost Continent in the Pacific. And that's where he brought all of these ideas into there being a um, – uh, Lemurians living within side of Mount okay. Shasta and using um, basically egg, like this just phony made up story of Edgar Larkin seeing, witnessing, um, um, witnessing Lemurians like dancing around Mount Shasta and like these um, buildings on Mount Shasta, these like crazy marble gold buildings on, on the, on the mountain himself. And so, okay. So Mount like California's a huge fucking place, right? So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a huge state. Um, Larkin's observatory was just outside of Pasadena in the mountains outside of Pasadena um, down near Los Angeles. And so 300, 400 miles away in, Mount Shasta, he was apparently observing all of this happening, right, right. yeah, going on. And so um, it's kind of, um, you know, farcical to, to think that. Yeah, it's a wild, that's a wild story that's part, yeah, that informs the, the NORAC or whatever the, uh, the group yeah, is, yeah. The, the author there that you're mm-hmm. talking about. I should have put him in the notes because he was critical to the whole thing, too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the that he bases all this on this alleged story of this real person who was like working at the observatory and observe and 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 there's no record whatsoever of this guy's story. It's yeah. a, it's just he's just like hey, I heard the story that he did this, and apparently the guy who it happened with like was pretty fastidious in his notes and shit. So it's like well, yeah, he never he, he yeah, never he, mentioned spending a whole week watching. <laughs> A fucking a bizarre scene mm-hmm. unfold on Mount Shasta from 600 miles away, which is physically impossible due to the curvature of the Earth. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe if it was a flat Earth, it would have been a little right. bit more possible. But um, but yeah, no, it was. But it, um, Lewis's book, Lemuria: uh, The Lost Continent of the Pacific, was actually like um, well known as well. Like it became popular, um, and it influenced a lot of people to flock to Mount Shasta. And right, then, right. And that's when, like, a lot of, of the kind of weird occurrences really start happening um, is after this, like, flocking to uh, Mount Shasta. And it got so bad that the Forest Service, which is which ran Mount Shasta at the time, had to, like, put out a press release saying, you know what, guys, we've been all over this mountain. We've yeah, filmed yeah, every yeah. part. Of it. We've flown flights over top of it and filmed it. We have not seen one Lemurian. We have not seen one building. We have not seen anything like this going on. Um, and it's also um, so many people were going there and not experiencing things. Um, and it was kicking back on Amherst that they had to like almost – they had to – print a story saying, you know what, guys, you screwed up oh. a good thing. The Lemurians, they actually <laughs> yes, up and moved down to Mexico because of you assholes. Um, like um, asshole tourists are just ruining the place. Yeah. And so it was, it's kind of, 
Yeah, that's such a, I forgot about that, but that's a fantastic aspect of the story. Yeah, they're like, oh, shit, we really, we caught, we, we caused a real ruckus here, so we better backpedal. And then made up this insane fucking story. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, we heard okay, we left a couple people to leave the lights on. We left a couple of Morians to yeah. leave the lights on. The rest of us are now in Mexico, so. We're yeah, not telling yeah. you where, though, because God knows we don't want that to happen again. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. So, uh, uh, that's, that's, yeah, just, that's such a fantastic chapter in the book. I just love that part so much. It is so influential. The, the, the dweller on two planets, early channeling. Um, it's, it's really, this book really sort of, um, highlights some forgotten people in a lot of ways. Like I said earlier, uh, uh, Ignatius Donnelly is sort of a, a prototypical conspiracy theorist. You got Frederick Spencer Oliver is a prototypical channeler. It's like these are these are sort of the very early, the very first people to kind of develop these arts, art form, yeah. for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. of of conspiracy theory theorizing or esoteric theorizing, if you will. Um, it's really a lot of folks that I'd never heard of before are, are, are showcased in the book. Um, it's it's really it, it I loved it <laughs> I really yeah. loved it um, and I would say I, would, I talked about motivations earlier and so you can see where the success of um, you know um, Donnelly in his book you can yeah. see the success of um, a dweller on two planets or the eventual success of it and how um, people see that and then they mm-hmm. say okay how can we recreate that how can we right, um, right. Um, you know, build upon that or, or do something similar to, you know, you know, uh, to gain off of that kind of yeah, success. Yeah, take advantage well. of this buzz. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess we heading into, I guess, what uh, you point out in the book is kind of what you would call peak Lemuria, or at least as far as public consciousness of this thing is, beyond um, people with an interest in the strange and unusual. This is when... Ray Palmer encounters Richard Shaver, and uh, Richard Shaver is – he's had these experiences. He believes that he's uh, – I think I should have you set this up because I don't remember exactly <laughs> what Richard Shaver's deal was now uh, in retrospect. And I, I, there are listeners who are like, know it Richard Shaver's story backwards and forwards. But Ray Palmer essentially is like the publisher of the sci-fi – magazines what was interesting to me reading the book was like uh again this is sort of an era that i haven't really dug too much into i know as i've gotten you know i know all of this because it's a little closer to our contemporary time ray palmer and richard shaver the shaver mysteries and all that but to me it was like i hadn't really realized that you know there was all these science fiction magazines that were like dedicated to real science fiction like it was uh like the science had to be right or something, you know, yeah. it was kind of yeah. like we're, which is interesting in, its, uh, in and of itself. And and so Ray Palmer came along and then he was like, he got mixed up with Richard Shaver and started putting them in the magazines and people were like, what the fuck is this, dude? You've got a guy claiming that he uh, has a spiritual uh, psychic memory, I think it was, he has psychic yeah. memory, a psychic memory of living in Lemuria and he has a whole mythos that he's conjured up in his mind and written down and ray palmer's like he knows a good thing when he sees it so he starts publishing this shit Mm -hmm. as you point out in the in the magazine first he publishes 
and I'm stunned that this became such a thing. He publishes this like fucking really arcane letter <laughs> from yeah. Richard Shaver, mm-hmm. where Richard Shaver breaks down this alphabet, and it makes no sense. But apparently, like it resonated with the people who read the magazine, and they became and they flooded the Ray Palmer with letters and shit about this bizarre letter about the alphabet and shit. And I think you mentioned it's like tucked away on like a far back page next to an ad for something silly or whatever. It's yeah. like a complete throwaway mm-hmm. filler part of the thing. Um, and even, I think you said that one of the editors of the magazine, like got it and threw it in the trash. And then he, Ray Palmer went over and took it out of the trash. and was like, let's put it in the magazine, which God bless him. That's, that's a paranormalist after my own heart. Yeah. Um, it's a good newspaper man too. Like it's just a good publisher. Yeah. Like it's just... yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that set into motion the the, the Shaver and Palmer story. So uh, I guess refresh me a little bit about Richard Shaver. How, what, what the hell was his background that he wound up uh, believing that he had that he could remember Lemuria for lack yeah. of a better you know to part of the pond, if you will. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Richard Shaver was like born in in Pennsylvania, um, had like just a normal American like boy upbringing, um, like not particularly, you know, um, dedicated to school or anything like that. Um, Throughout the early depression, um, he had a bunch of odd jobs. Um, He lived with his brother. His brother eventually moved to Detroit. Um, And so, you know, Richard followed him. Um, and he had this like kind of like cool life living in Detroit. Um, he went to art school there. Um, he, um, got into a relationship with one of like the adjunct professors, um, at the college. He was doing like nude modeling himself. He became involved in like the, um, avant-garde, um, underbelly of Detroit. Um, and so, um, and so he was still living with his brother at the time. Um, his brother worked for the, gosh, um, like the border patrol or, some, or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, and this was during the time of prohibition. And so um, he, for, for whatever reason, um, Shaver had to drop out of art school or the art school actually closed down. Um, he married that woman. They got pregnant. He needed to get a job. <clears throat> and so he got a job at a auto factory. Um, and then um, his brother eventually passed away. And so his brother had kind of intimated that he was having some problems at work. Um, and so this was during like prohibition. And so there was a lot of, you know, uh, liquor running across the border and stuff like yeah. that. And so, um, so, um, but his brother, I think, died of pneumonia or some, something right, along those lines, right, or like right. a heart attack. Sounds to going, me, yeah, yeah. Based on the based on the reading in the book, it sounded to me. Now my memory's refreshing. Yeah, say, it, he, um, yeah, very much sounded to me like Shaver kind of, for lack of a better term, lost his fucking mind when his brother yes. died. His idol, his hero, died, and his life was already kind of tumultuous as it is. And he kind of went down the rabbit hole of like paranoia. Um, you know, whether he could be diagnosed with something, I don't know. But it was yeah. like he certainly seemed to kind of lose his mind when his brother died and came up with all these conspiracy theories. And the next thing you know, he's, he's, he's he started hearing voices. And so he started hearing voices through his um, drill that he was using at work. Um, they were telling him things like um, 
everybody thought he was like a homosexual. Everybody was like he was a communist, um, all this kind of stuff coming out. And so he was he was just hearing that in his head. Um, and so, um, yeah, he was committed. His wife had him committed. Um, and so he spent a couple of years in a mental institution there in, in Michigan. Um, it was during that um, the first time he was institutionalized, he his wife died. It was like an accident, like electricity accident. Um, and so for some reason, his wife's parents gained guardianship over him. And so they don't want him to anywhere near the fucking kid. Yeah, exactly. So they like essentially like like they like they like Britney Spears did essentially. <laughs> they like were like we're gonna put you in the fucking mental hospital and we don't want like don't ever let him out. Essentially yeah. was not mm-hmm. what they what they told the mental hospital. Yeah. And but the mental hospital was I guess um, very um, liberal in its um, yeah, leave policy fair, yeah. because they allowed him <laughs> to travel back to Pennsylvania to like hang out with his parents. And so it was on one of these trips that he, he just kind of skedaddled uh, and spent life on the run for a, a few years. And this would formalize the, the basis for it. I think the second Lemuria story that came out. Um, and so it was here that he started um getting the idea that there were these um, underground um, race of evil midget dwarves um, out to kind of like destroy the world or not right. so much destroy the world, just like fuck with humanity. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. chaos. Yeah. Just like pure chaos um, actors. Um, and so they would do anything from, you know, steal your car keys to, you know, kill Kennedy. Like, right. Um, right. <laughs> the basis for everything. Yeah. And so right. um, all, all of that can be traced back to the, the Darrow's. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. The, and that was his name for him, the uh, abandoned Darrow's um, or Darrow's for short. And so they were always hounding him for, for whatever reason. Um, he would be institutionalized later, um, also like in the late 30s and moving into the early 1940s. And then as soon as he and it's during that kind of like second institutionalization that um, he really like formalized his ideas about what was going on and the whole like world making of, of these Darrow's. And so that's when you have this um, ideas of like different kinds of rays controlling people and they can do different kinds of things. Um, he came up with his own ideas about gravity, which he would share with Einstein and Einstein kindly said, you know, please don't mail me anything anymore. Um, And so, yeah. And it was right after he got out that he mailed his letter to Ray Palmer and that started their relationship with one another. Yeah. Yeah. So he's publishing this shit. Ray Palmer is. And what's fascinating to me is like, it's becoming more and more popular, but it's very sort of like modern in a way. If you look at it, kind of like uh, contemporaneous pop culture in a way. This was pop culture of the time, so it was like the people, the hardcore fans who want hard science in their fiction, were like, "What the fuck is this, dude? You're ruining the genre, man. You're ruining the genre." To the point yeah. that he kind of like had to. Eventually, they kind of had to go their separate ways, and mm-hmm. he went off and was. I think I think Ray Palmer was kind of like, "All right, this is where it's at." Yeah. crazy shit is where it's yeah. at. So he started Fate Magazine, 
and kind of went for he just kept going with the with the crazy shit. Yeah. And left the hard science fiction to to the nerds. So, <laughs> so. Yeah, right. Yeah. But like and then it's funny is the um he kind of lost interest in the Shaver mysteries um because of flying saucers. Like the yeah. the whole Arnold sighting and everything happened right at the same time as like the last Shaver mystery was being published in Amazing right, Stories. Right. And so um he was kind of superseded by UFOs. So yeah, and I can see also where it's like there wasn't really as much cynicism or skepticism surrounding the UFO phenomenon at the time. So I can imagine, like, you're Ray Palmer, you're publishing this, you know, with all apologies, this crazy person's, like, ramblings. Mm -hmm. It's really fucking popular and shit. Um, I think at one point you mentioned that uh, you mentioned that at one point, like, the magazine – I think it was Amazing Stories, but I'm not positive. Was, yeah, amazing. Uh, yeah, it's selling amazing like 250,000 copies. Yeah, a month or whatever. At should, a time yeah. when like when at a time when like 20 or 30,000 copies a month was considered success. So they were like yeah. 10 times what would be considered a success. So this is enormously popular mm -hmm. stuff. But I can imagine in his mind. It's like he's oh, oh shit these UFOs. This is actually something that's happening. Like that—that that is, you know, what it is. I don't know. What we still don't know. But what it is at the time, even mm -hmm. it was like this is extremely strange because no one's ever heard of these UFOs before. Now they're flying. These flying saucers are being seen, and and so I can imagine. I could see him wanting to like pivot away from the the ramblings, the <laughs> that border that they're almost certainly fiction to something mm -hmm. that very well may be true. That's something that might actually yeah. be that, that that is legitimately happening rather than someone's mm -hmm. like recollections of a previous bygone era. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And yeah, he was getting a little more and more flack too from fans. Like there was a lot of fan um, groups and organizations like um, fan clubs um, like yeah, the science yeah. fiction fan clubs coming out and they were like reporting them to the, the, the censors and stuff like that. And, um, and then the, the whole thing about the Shaver mysteries was like Palmer throughout the whole thing was like, this is true. All of this stuff happened. This is not where yeah. I know we're a science fiction magazine, but all of this stuff happened. And so I think that's what really like pissed people off. Um, and it, and it got like his publisher started like, leaning on him to 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 knock it off as well and so he was yeah, he was yeah. receiving a lot of pressure from a lot of different angles and so he eventually was like you know what ray or you know what richard you you can have the your shaver mysteries you can go off and do what you want with them um yeah and, and then he eventually just and palmer himself um left amazing stories shortly after you know giving up the shaver mysteries as well too right right yeah 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 um yeah, like I said, he, then he, I think he ventured off and eventually started up Fate Magazine. So yeah. it's kind of like he could see the writing on the wall. Where yeah, yeah. Like, all right, this is this UFO thing is where it's at, and mm -hmm. these sci-fi fans don't want me to even get into the fucking <laughs> weird. So mm -hmm. I'm gonna go where where the where the interest is. Yeah. Um, and he serendipitously like started Fate Magazine and was editing that and um, producing that while still doing oh, wow. um, amazing stories. Yeah. He was like doing it on the down low. I don't think his name appeared on maybe the first couple issues or if they did, it, it was, um, he just didn't want his Boston basically, or the, the publishers at um, Ziff Davis to know that he was, you know, had right, a rival magazine. A second magazine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Probably wouldn't have gone over well. Yeah. 
So that's kind of where, as you pointed out in the book, that's like peak Lemuria. That's kind yeah. of when it enters the, the modern zeitgeist, if yeah. you will. That's it, when... was, it was covered in Time Magazine or, or Life, I think, um, and, and like the whole shebang was co- covered in newspapers, and it was getting a lot of press. Yeah, that was that was that was Lemuria's like 15 minutes of fame. Uh, mm-hmm. So, like, as, you know, for people who are listening to this, as, as we've talked all along, it's like Lemuria was always sort of ever since it was first put out by you know, Sklar, Sklar, uh, or is it Sclater, yeah. um, you know, in 1864, it was kind of always floating around, floating around, changing, evolving and shit. And then it was like this is when it became, I think, to the public. And it's still not like you, you kind of have to even still be a little in the know to know yeah. Lemuria. Yeah. It's like everybody knows Atlantis. It's <laughs> like, but Lemuria is for the hardcore. Yeah, it's, it's the Velvet Underground too of of lost continents. You have to right, it, right. The yeah. cool kids know about it, but everybody else, the hipsters, yeah. <laughs> hipsters. Yeah, 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 exactly. And taking the transformation of Lemuria, this is when Lemuria. So we've gone from it's a fucking land, possible land bridge. Then it's like the cradle of civilization. Then it's the cradle of spirituality. Then it's possibly connected to, it's inside Mount Shasta. The people move to Mount Shasta. And then that's when it, it goes underground, literally. Yeah. Like that's mm-hmm. when the underground elements get weaved into this concept. As I said, just keeps piling on <laughs> different versions and ideas. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's like a blank slate that different people over the course of time have used to put forward their their wild ideas in a way. Yeah. And like you, you, with the Shaver mysteries, you start getting the, the beginnings of the reptilian conspiracy theories and stuff like yep. that as well. And so it, it, it's, you know, it's a piece of that puzzle too. So it's, it's, it's out there. Right. Right. So, well, well I, kind of, I don't want to like, we'll, we'll just kind of wind the book down in a way yeah. that moves into the new age movement mm-hmm. and their adoption of Lemuria. What I thought was really interesting here is within, at some point, someone, some some jerk writes a book, a sequel to <laughs> A Dweller on Two Planets, Blasphemy. And this is yeah. like 50 years at least or something like that, like yeah. 50 or yep. 60 years after mm-hmm. after A Dweller on Two Planets. They, they, put, they put out a sequel, cruelly put out a sequel, and, and like shit on poor <laughs> Spencer Oliver the tragic figure of the Liberia story where they're like, yeah, he fucked it all up. This is really what, this is what we meant to tell him. That's the, <laughs> this is the new uh, version of a dweller on two planets. So it was like, even, even the seminal work is being repurposed. And yeah. and so that's kind of moving all along. And, 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 and it just becomes a part of this new age movement where, as we said, like Blavatsky kind of acknowledged the background of this. Now it's just this placeholder. It's this thing. If you need, it's like, like we said, Lance has been too commodified. If you need that blank slate place where a mystical being could have come from or a mystical being could have landed or, or something could have sprung up, Lemuria, that's yeah. your fucking answer. It's, that's, the, that's the catch-all blank slate that a lot of New Agers then started using as, uh, you know, and it kind of, it, it just all gets mixed in sort of contactees. Oh, we're Lemurians and we went to Venus. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, the funny part <laughs> is, you mentioned this kind of in a way, it's like, is, that's the fucked up part where it's like, okay, so there's no way, because we know where Lemuria came from, 
there's no way, like, if an alien landed on Earth, he'd be like, I'm from Lemuria. Because, like, dude, that's made up. That would be like if they showed up and they were, like, from, I don't know, Middle Earth or whatever. Duckburg. I think I used that. Yeah, Duckburg, yeah. It's like, so, it's like, if an alien showed up and he was like, yeah, I'm from Lemuria, I'd be like, you're a fucking liar, dude. Because <laughs> there ain't no, there's no Lemuria. Yeah. Like, haven't, haven't you read Justin McHenry's book? Here, read this fucking book. So, next guy you show up to in their backyard, you got a more plausible story. Yeah. But that's the weird part, as every time someone needs a place, a mystical place, it's like, all of a sudden it becomes Lemuria. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it can be, it's has very much become a, a spice that gets added to a backstory. Um, yes, yes. And so it, it's in that, like, new age period where it just – it becomes a accepted fact that there was yes. a place that called Lemuria. Um, now, what happened on that Lemurian place, Who, who like, it, it changes per the person's, you know, motivations right. and needs for, for them. But <clears throat> it's it's very much a, a real place to them um, just so – they can have happen on there and the people on there can do um, things to help out them now. Right. Yes. At one point you mentioned in one of the new age stories told by someone, and it may have been the sequel to uh, a dweller on two planets, but it's like they added in a bunch of shit about the labor laws on on Lemuria Mm -hmm. because it was like, they're trying to get a point across obviously about Mm -hmm. labor laws in America or whatever. And it's like, well, the fucking labor laws on Lemuria were this way, and maybe if we emulated the way that this ancient culture did things, things could be better here now in the 1970s. And it's like, <laughs> there's no fucking Lemuria, dude. There was no Lemuria. This is insane. Yeah. This is craziness. So the, the the funny thing about that book, it's called an Earth Dweller Returns. Um, it was yes, published yes. by the um, the um, Lemurian Foundation, which is still around today. It's still around and kicking. Um, the um, mostly written by a guy named Howard John Zitko, who was one of the co-founders of the foundation. Um, but um, yeah, he was into all of that stuff. He was into like you know political you know motivations and like labor laws and, and shit like yeah. that. And so of course, you know, he's going to put that into his book. And the funny thing about Earth Dweller Returns is like, um, it's like Philos comes back and he's like. Man, Frederick Spencer Oliver fucked this up royally. So I have yeah. to write this like sequel um to to this book. And it was so bad that the family of Frederick Spencer Oliver sued them. Yes, um, so fascinating. I'd like to look at the court case on this yeah, one because this yeah. is like I've never heard of such a mm-hmm. a crazy ass court case. Yeah. So yeah, the family of Frederick uh, Spencer Oliver sued the you know the Lemurian Foundation or whoever um, for an Earth Dweller Returns, um, saying they were they were um, using their copyrighted material. But the judge looked over the case and because and he, he he ruled that because um, Frederick Spencer Oliver said he was just the oh, I don't even know how to say the word channeler or whatever. Yeah, the channeler. Let's just do that for. Yeah, he was the channeler that um, he, he doesn't hold copyright to to that law. So. Um, So all future channelers should (laughs) should yeah should really take that into account when they're when they're doing their work. They should um, make sure to get a good copyright lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Or like write in the book, state like from the beginning, it's like my mystical guide has handed over copyright to me. (laughs) So this is now my property as we begin my my communique. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that's we bring it up to that, you know, it, 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 with a history book like this, it's impossible to sort of ever stop, really. Yeah, yeah, right? no. <laughs> so Lemuria is going to continue on for, for you know, as long as people need a place or uh, an origin location or a setting mm-hmm. for their story. Lemuria will continue onward. Um, and it is interesting you mentioned sort of at the very end, and it's uh, talk about Kismet. Um, uh, we, I may flip the order of the episodes, but yesterday I was interviewing Emily Louise, uh, Emily, yesterday I was interviewing Emily Louise, who was a consulting producer on the Love Has Won oh, nice. documentary okay. yeah. nice. on HBO. Mm-hmm. And here I am finishing the book this <laughs> afternoon. And at the, like in the very last, like two or three pages, like you talk about the Love Has Won cult yeah, and how the Amy Carlson, the leader of the Love Has Won cult, Part of her grand fucking mythos, her fantastic background of being this ascended being who's traveled through different reincarnations. At some point, guess what, folks? She was the queen of Lemuria. Mm-hmm. So it's like, again, it's like, <laughs> that's when I would have exited the cult. I'd be like, oh, fuck. All right. Wait a minute. In a second. Yeah. yeah. But that's what I was saying about just being a spice. Like, she just threw that in to... Give it sounds some, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Just give her some bona fides. It's like, well, I mean, Lemuria's a place, and she was the queen of it. And, you know, Donald Trump also was her father at one point, too. So Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that's, that's you know, so that's that's it. That's Lemuria. It's it's a part of our culture, in a, especially in the sub-level esoteric culture. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like, you know, it's the, it's, it is the spice that um, that's added to all these fantastic stories it's a it's really it's really wild it's it's really a lot of fun and like you mentioned uh that like the QAnon people you know even the modern conspiracies like we don't want to end up like Lemuria guys we gotta get our shit together it's like Mm -hmm. again it's like what what the fuck (laughs) well it's (laughs) become a cautionary tale for them like yeah um it's basically now um Lemurians were persecuted for their um for their beliefs and like woke yeah. culture like led to their um to the them being you know nuclear bombed basically and, and everything else so it's 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 a stand-in for 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 what they want it to be right exactly every every like storyteller really uh every storyteller in the in the history of this thing really yeah uses it it projects themselves exactly. oh yeah that's a great point yeah lemuria mm-hmm. and you make a point i didn't really want to even dwell on this or talk too much about it but there's a a racial element to a lot of this oh too, yeah, yeah especially yeah. at the very beginnings in the scientific part of it where it was like they needed some explanation they needed some way to differentiate these these high-powered white uh multi-hyphenates as we talked about earlier they needed some mm-hmm. way to like set themselves apart from the rest of the different races. So they were like, well, we come from Lemuria. We're different. You know, we're, we're above all this. We're mm-hmm. chosen people, if you will. So there's a very kind of dark underbelly, uh, beneath Lemuria, especially in the earlier times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it's a very, it's there. It, it, it should is, be acknowledged, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and throughout the whole whole history of it too, like um, as Lemuria and Lemurians were becoming a race unto themselves, like in the whole 
um, like Heichel period. They were like Lemuria, like the people on Lemuria were tied to more um, quote unquote lower races. Um, Blavatsky kind of carried that on in hers as well. And she would like tie Lemurians into other races and they, they would make explicit points about right, right. All the, like yeah. each each inter- iteration would would go into this racial aspect aspect for no reason. Like there, right. there, there's there's the really part, no yeah. reason other than just to prop up their own like white superiority. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's like it's disappointing. Obviously, it's it's, it's, yeah. it's disheartening. Yeah. You know, it's like oh man, like why again? It's like why you gotta fucking go there? That's kind of like <laughs> as you're as I'm reading it, and it's like. Wait, what? That's yeah. Like, what are you getting into? Like, what are you getting into that shit for, dude? But mm-hmm. it was part of the culture. It was that was you know. So it's like I said, it, it it needs to be sort of mentioned here. But I didn't want to dwell on that because the the story of Lear is much more fantastical and fun yeah. in a lot of ways when you talk about the iterations and the evolution of this of this as you say fake place. Yeah. But this is the true story of <laughs> it. Really is. Um, a, 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 a fantastic study of of how an idea can be taken and then transformed over successive generations. We're looking at what, like 160 years now since uh, it was first put out there. And mm-hmm. it, it's, I you make a great point in the book. It's it's almost like metaphysical way, but it's like it made me think. It was like right, I was putting together my notes today and was flipping through to find something, and I check the intro again he's like what would lemuria think if it like (laughs) would it be happy with what it's become after all this time would lemuria what what would its reaction be to its its evolution it's it's an interesting sort of question Mm -hmm. it's a um i always looked at it as a exploration of how a alternative narrative gets formed um yeah which is i think very important in our day and age now dealing with you know fake news and all that kind of crap that's going on. And so <clears throat> this takes a, a long look at a, you know, uh, one narrative and how right, right. it has gone through so many iterations and it is ended up where it is now. Um, um, that's, that's like a long look. Now everything's like really condensed and it gets, right. gets taken that way. But so <clears throat> going through it, my, my thought process, or at least at towards the end of it, as I was seeing all of this happening, I was like, wow, this is, this is how an alternative narrative, you know, is formed and, and is created and becomes a, a new kind of reality. Yeah. Well, it's fantastic. And each, yeah, like we were saying, uh, you know, I, there have been whole books written on Blavatsky. And I bet you there yeah. are. And, and Ray Palmer oh, and Shaver. And, yep. Oh, yeah, for sure. And mm-hmm. I'm sure about, uh, I don't know if there's been a book on Ignatius Donnelly, but there probably could be. And a lot of these characters yeah. are, are, uh, you know, worthy of <laughs> exploration. You don't have to tell the story, but yeah, there's a guy in the book, Captain John Clive Sims, who became yeah, a, hollow yeah. earth, a hollow earth enthusiast yep. who then mm-hmm. sends copies of his research to members of Congress, complete with a certificate certifying that he is not insane, which yeah. I thought was just fantastic, which should be adopted <laughs> by all, 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 all paranormalists, uh, <laughs> castling Congress. Yeah. You know, we're, we're mm-hmm. all you UFO buffs. We're going to need documentation of your sanity if you're going to keep, keep calling, uh, congressional offices. But, <laughs> well, I was thinking about like while writing it, I was thinking about, cause <clears throat> I know you're, 
you've um, explored the flat earth world. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, like flat, flat earth is one thing, like hollow earth people are even like stranger and oh, weirder. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a even more fascinating, like, um, I guess hole to go down. Yeah. Yeah. I've only scratched the surface, no pun intended of the hollow earth. So, uh, you know, so, but I have, but it is, it is a whole nother milieu of weirdness that it's yeah. like, okay, that's another one I'd like to dig into and be like, all right, where did this fucking come from? Who's the first person to really get <clears throat> going on this? And how did it, you know, really change over the years? But it's also, in a way, it's kind of like the flat earth where it's like, there's always so much you can do with, you yeah. can do a lot with a hollow earth, but you mm-hmm. still can't like do too much with it. With Lemuria, yeah. it, like I said, it's this blank, slate that yeah. people can use and apply to every different uh it's like a utility tool here for, mm-hmm. for strange stories strange tales um it's fantastic it's really it's really quite the uh quite the story quite the concept uh i really i, I really appreciate you writing this book man i like i oh, said thank uh, you so much well thank you so much for reading it and, and having me on uh, <clears throat> i loved it as i i, I hope that people can uh, can feel how much I love this book and how fun it is. It really, we've covered the evolution of really in two hours, get yeah. this book folks and read it because the depth, it is the depth in here of the research is tremendous. Um, you know, we only really gave you the, the super, uh, you know, the, the, the big, the big chapters, you know, the big points mm-hmm. as the story evolved. You want to get this book and read it because it has all of it in, in, in tremendous detail. Now we always sort of wrap up the show with, uh, you know, what's next for you. Have you, and obviously right now you just came out with the book. I'm sure you put a considerable amount of time into the research of the book. I mean, it's, it's, it's tremendous. As I said, and the footnotes and the references are huge. So, I imagine you were slaving away on this book for quite some time. So right now you're just happy to have the book out and, <laughs> and, and to be talking about it and doing shows and stuff. But have you given any thought to what you might want to do next? Well, I am finishing up a book right now on colonial Philadelphia. So something completely oh, wow. different. Yeah. Yeah. A, a publisher reached out to me and was like, do you have any ideas about Philadelphia? And so I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. Um, <clears throat> so, so I'm finishing that up. That I will probably be out at the end of the year. But then I would, I want to do something more esoteric and and weird yeah. too. So, but I, I, I I'm kind of scratching that itch with my. I do a like I say a, a newsletter. So I, I. Yeah, you mentioned that. Where can people get the news? Do you have a website or anything? Because I didn't. I, I, I yeah, find you can a find website. my my. I have an author website, justinjmckenry.com. Um, my okay. newsletter is our belated past. Um, o u r belated past. Um, that Substack. So okay. find that. There's a bunch of just weird stuff that I go into. Um, there and I probably will go. You know, just more stuff. Like spend the rest of the year doing that, and then maybe try to find a book length um topic to to write about that interesting yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 that's what but, kind but, of like in a way i i i'm envious because uh well like i well right when i got into flat earth then someone came out with a flat earth book and i'm like oh, <laughs> shit and like this is the kind of thing where it's like i see the book and i'm like why didn't i i, I could never have put the amount of work that you did so i'm glad <laughs> that you wrote the book because i couldn't possibly have written nearly as, <laughs> as good a book as it. But it's like that's 
like genius level mm-hmm. fucking topic. It's like why why hadn't I thought of that? A, a book <laughs> on the history of Lemuria. That's mm-hmm. that's amazing. So I can imagine it, it, you're kind of just waiting for you know Kismet to come along and, and tap you on the shoulder and be like, hey, have you looked at you know. I don't know. I can't even think of anything, but you know, have you looked at <laughs> Hollow Earth or whatever? Have you yeah, thought yeah. of some other story that, you know, you and I haven't even, haven't even come up, you know, haven't even considered that will yeah. pop into your head one day where it's like, Oh, I should look into, you know, like, like the Shakespeare conspiracies or something crazy like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So hopefully Kismet does tap you on the shoulder in the not too distant future. Cause I would love to read whatever, whatever you come up with next, man. Cause this okay, is great. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, thank you so much. And I, and like I said, I've I've been a loyal BOA listener for God years now. And so, thank you so much for having me. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, you can ask me anything you want. Okay, Bob. So, um, you I know I know through Coast you you cover a bunch of stuff. I know yeah. through doing um, Banal of America and all the people you've talked to. But I don't yeah. think you've you've never had like a um, paranormal experience yourself, have you? I've had one paranormal experience. Well, I've had two very uh, benign, sort of boring paranormal experiences. So, no, I've never – I guess for the record, I've told these stories on other podcasts, but I don't think I've ever told them on All America. So, one story, I used to work as an overnight janitor um, at the time because there was a lot of downtime. Uh, This is like right before I got into Coast to Coast, actually – I was doing a lot of reading, so I, to challenge myself, I was like, I'm going to read the Bible from beginning to end, um, not for, because I had any awakening or anything yeah. like that. Um, you know, it was just more like, okay, this is, the, this is, talk about seminal works. This is like the yeah. seminal fucking work of all time, so I should probably read it so I have a better understanding of, like, why, of, of all, all kinds of stuff, which you do. If you read the Bible, you'll have a tremendously new perspective on the world just because it's informed the world so much. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I was reading the Bible, went out to have a smoke. I was like, it's just crazy how God shows up. He does crazy shit. And like, he's just showing up all the time. I think I was in the old Testament part at that point. And I'm like, it's just weird. That shit never happens nowadays. So I'm coming up back in from having my cigarette. And uh, I walk past this elevator that had to be opened with a key. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden the elevator doors just open. And I was like, and I just stood there and kind of looked over at the elevator, the open elevator, and I was like, that's pretty weird. And that was it. And then the door just closed. And, like, to this day, I still kind of regret. I'm like, maybe I should have gone in the elevator. Maybe I should have seen seen what the, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, seen what would have happened. So that, that, I, I, unfortunately, nothing's ever happened to me ever since a situation where I could make that choice. But I hope if I ever get into that situation. I'll remember the elevator and be like, just walk into the elevator, man. Just walk in the elevator <laughs> and see the what other. happens. Yeah. So the other story is uh, my father passed away in May of 2017, 2007, okay. excuse me. My father passed away in 2007. Um, it's been a very long time now. So he uh, he was a, a prankster like me. He, he appreciated a good joke. So he had this little box thing called the fart machine. <laughs> that okay. like and it was remote controlled and you would like put it i would like put it under your chair and i would mm-hmm. go across the room and then i hit the button and it would sound like you just ripped a huge bar yeah then i'd be like justin what do you have for lunch today buddy <laughs> so that was he like loved that thing and he used it all the time like whenever we had people over and guests and stuff so he passed away 
We put it away on a shelf like these ones behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just sat there with the remote on top for like six six to eight months or whatever. Because my birthday's in late January. It's going to be like in about 10 days. No, no. Um, so it was my birthday, the first birthday after my dad died. I had some scratch tickets. Um, spoiler alert, I did not win. Okay. So people get filled up that they, that they think it's going to be the big payoff. So <laughs> I have the scratch tickets. And I hold them up kind of like, and I'm like, all right, dad, give me a winner here. And just when I, after I said that, the fart machine went off and it was, and it was the only time, it, only time it went off before then it never went off again. I think maybe I got to ask my mother, but I think maybe once it went off like for my mother, but that was it. It wasn't like, it wasn't something that happened all the time where it was like, yeah, oh, yeah. this thing, this thing's annoying. Mm-hmm. Take the batteries out. It was like, put the one I said, Come on, Dad, give me a winner. Then the fart thing happened, and then it was like, and I just again, it was just like you can't really do it. I, mean, I didn't do it. It was just like, wow, I think that yeah. was. I was like, I think that. I mean, I, I you can't say you know, but it's I'm as close as I can be to knowing. Yeah, yeah. That was some kind of communication from yeah. uh, my dad from the other side. So those are my two. That's good. Well, that's perfect two timing too. Like parents. The the timing of that is right, right. It's like good it was comedic like a timing. Call and answer. Yeah, it was like yeah. a call and answer. It was like what else mm-hmm. could explain this? It wasn't like I was walking through the room and the thing went off, or like I said that it was going off all the time. It was just I said, "Come on, Dad, give me a winner," and then it went off, and then it didn't go off again. So okay. it was like that was <laughs> I don't even know where the thing is now. Um, but yeah, that's my that's my only real paranormal experience. But that's okay. pretty. Pretty solid, I think. For no, those are good. A lot of people go through life with not having that. I was going to ask you: is is there a particular um, of everything that you've you've covered or, or been a, a part to? Is there is there one experience that you are like envious of or would want to experience yourself? Like see a Bigfoot or or a but I would love to see a Bigfoot. I don't yeah. really care for just. I wouldn't care to see a UFO. Yeah. Um, because it's just kind of like I don't know. It's too nebulous. With a Bigfoot, you're pretty you don't I mean, you're pretty close to like either seeing Bigfoot or seeing something you're pretty convinced it's big you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. you're close enough to the thing that you know there's a thing there and you're pretty sure it's some kind of creature. Yeah. Because it's moving. So it's like I think it's enough confirmation that you you know, that you would be able to hold on to something with that. Yeah. You know, with with a with a UFO, it's an, it's like it could be a satellite, could be whatever, could be a shooting star, could be all kind, you know, could be Venus. But it's like with Bigfoot, it's like okay, that's probably either a fucking bear or it's a Bigfoot, you know. And <laughs> and if you're close enough, to the, and you talk to the people who are like, they're sure it was a Bigfoot. So it's like mm-hmm. I think if I, I think I think that I'd be, I think that I would know the difference between a bear and a Bigfoot. Yeah. I think. I'd like to think, because oftentimes they they describe the face of the creature, and it's like it was like a human face. So it's like yeah. okay, that's Bigfoot. Yeah. So that would be that's the most I would love to see a Bigfoot. That's my my big thing. And as far as like ex- from talking to people over the years, it's like I don't know if I'd want to experience it or not, but I'll always be interested in the Adam Davies Bigfoot oh, yeah. Yeah. story. Um, like that's the, the talk about seminal. That's the seminal. An all of America episode that's like yeah. what you know, I would love to have just been there so I could feel and experience what Adam experienced so I could have a better understanding of what occurred there. Mm-hmm. Because I'm I believe that something happened to him. Yeah. Just yeah. based on my 
years of knowing him over the years and mm -hmm. knowing him since. It's like something clearly happened to him that night. And yeah. I'd love to know. I'd love to have been there as a, as a, as, as an observer of that. So I could get a, like I said, a better understanding of, of, of seeing with my own eyes. Mm -hmm. So. And yeah, I heard, I heard him. I was gonna say I heard him on the, I heard him on the, the couple episodes ago, and it oh, was the revival, yeah, 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 and it was very, um, like moving him talking about like yeah it was, how, it, how it has impacted him and affected him. Yeah, yeah, I really, I felt, I felt bad. I mean, I even said mm -hmm. that on the show because I'm like, oh man, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to bring up like this traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. It's like a very odd thing, and I've said many times like Adam never really profited off of this. He yeah. never became like UFO or Bigfoot famous or paranormal famous out of it. Uh, he's mm -hmm. really shied away from talking about it. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, it's to me, it's a really, really weird story. And uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's been, I, it's been like mentioned on other shows, people cited, and I think mm -hmm. it's been cited in a couple of books. It's like, it's a really, mm -hmm. it's a really uh, wild story. So um, yeah. And it's, I mean, I'd like to say I'm proud of having that show in the catalog, but it's like, that's all Adam. I mean, I didn't yeah, really, yeah. I mean, but I don't. You got it out of him. So it takes a talent. And, right. Well, he wanted yeah, to, to talk about that. it. He contacted me and was like, I need to come on the show and talk about it. You're the only one I can really <laughs> trust to, to, to tell the story to. So I guess mm -hmm. I, I played my part in getting the story out there. But um, yeah, so it's a, it's quite the tale. It's quite yeah, the tale. That's a good now. one. And I met up with Adam like six months after the the episode or so and I we went out for drinks and shit and I was just hitting him with like every <laughs> you know every question under the sun just trying to poke holes in the story but mm -hmm. there was nothing I could there was no way of figuring it out yeah you know? yeah so it's very it's, wild it's not something that you can like yeah blame on like Venus or you know, right. gas or something like that like it's it's very right. personal and, experience and it, uh, John Carlson, his friend, was there with him, so it was like, mm -hmm. okay, so this couldn't really have been a hallucination because the guy, guy next to you was seeing the same thing. So yeah. it's like this wasn't like food poisoning or drugs or whatever. It's like, nah, this doesn't. Yeah, all the all the reasonable explanations you can think of, and mm -hmm. it's like, I I can't for the life of me imagine that he and John would have concocted this fucking story. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those stories. It's like it's too. If you want to make up a story, you wouldn't make up something so insanely yeah. unbelievable. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it's it's too pure to, right, to not right. be real. Yeah. All right. Any other questions before? No, nah, that's it, man. That's all I got for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My pleasure, man. I really, no. you know, I I think that I think everybody listening knows. I love my listeners. I love the Banal American list. You guys have stuck with me through long hiatuses. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, periods of, of craziness and, and, and all that stuff. And, and it's been a, a, an amazing 18 years of doing this show. Um, and I, I really appreciate the folks who've been on this ride for so long and you, yeah. and you're one of them, Justin. So, mm -hmm. um, and, and here you are. We appreciate the, all of those catalog. 18 years. Like, and I know it's a, a lot of work doing this and a lot of thankless work of, contacting people and talking to them and uh, you know, reading their books and, and, you know, interviewing and then just like the whole process of putting it out and 
Oh, for sure. But I, I got to tell you, man, and I, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass here. Like, I was thinking this today, um, and, it, and it, it speaks to the guests we've had on the revival so far, and um, and, and especially you, because uh, I knew I was talking today, and I was just kind of like, fuck, man, I, I'm so happy to be back doing this. <laughs> it's so much fun, and I get to – I'm learning so much new stuff that I hadn't really – you know, that I'd kind of given a passing – glanced to over the years when we weren't doing but all of America. Now it's like, I'm reading so much more. I'm reading yeah. the books of these guests. And before mm-hmm. it was like, when I wasn't doing the show, I didn't read as much. Yeah. Um, Cause I really just didn't need to. And it was just kind of lazy. But now as I'm uh, having guests on who have books, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I always want to read the book as best I can. Yeah. Um, And so it's like, I'm having the time of my life doing this. I'm really oh, having so awesome. much fun being back and, and, and getting into this stuff. That's like, I feel like I'm getting exercising my brain again in a way that I hadn't in a very long time. So, um, and, and, and this book really, you know, that's, that's kind of what, that's kind of what made me think that today. Cause I was just like, man, I'm having a fucking blast. This is going to be awesome tonight. <laughs> I was really thinking that today. I'm like, I cannot fucking wait to talk to this guy <laughs> about this book because this book is so good. And I am so lucky that I get to spend two and a half hours talking to him tonight about this book that I absolutely love. This is so awesome. And, 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 you know, and that wouldn't be possible if we hadn't brought the show back. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really having a good time with it. And I'm, I'm so happy that we could have you as part of this because this is the kind of seriously high quality shit that I want to produce for Banal of America. Like I, like right now, talking to you, it's going to be like two weeks till we get the episode on. I cannot fucking wait till people <laughs> hear this show. Like I am, I have ever since I got the book in the mail, I heard about this book. I'm like, this is going to be wild. This is Liberia. This is going to be crazy. And then I read the book, and I'm like, this is going to fucking be beyond wild. This, is, this <laughs> people need to hear this shit. This mm-hmm. is awesome. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so excited to, to. Uh, to roll it out to folks, and I had an absolute blast tonight, and I, I cannot thank you enough, man. Um, you know, as I said, it started with Kismet, you saying some kind words on threads, and and next thing you know, here we are talking, uh, putting the Lemuria stamp on Banal of America. So uh, I, I, I have to salute you once again. You have a tour de force, man. Yeah. It's tremendous. I, we don't do the video here, but I hold it up anyway. Yeah. Lemuria, folks. Uh a true story of a fake place. Justin McHenry you can get it on Amazon. Get it. Trust me. You want to read this book. You will absolutely love it. Uh, and then that's it, man. Thank you so much for coming on with all of America. No, thank you, brother. I appreciate everything. Appreciate your kind words and appreciate you having me on and appreciate all of the years of BOA years more too down the line. I'll do what I can brother. Yeah. Thank you. Have a great night. You too, bud. Have a good one.